Here we go. John Vallis, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, really, really looking forward to this conversation. You uh, have, since I decided to do this show, you've been at the top of my list. Um, I ask all my guests uh, three questions. Do you believe in God? Do you own Bitcoin? And do you play golf? So I figure we, we the, the, the first question we'll talk about, I'm assuming you own Bitcoin. Uh, do you play golf? <laughs> Well, first, man, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion too. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I don't play golf, and the reason why is my dad was a golfer, and I tried it when I was younger. And when I was younger, it was just uh, I found it annoying. You know, you just the ball keeps going in in the opposite direction, <laughs> and after a while, you know, I guess my temper just got the better of me. But in my uh, later years, I just don't like the pace. I like to do things that are more intense uh, and shorter duration. So for me, like trail running or martial arts training or swimming or something, you know, I don't like just how slow and uh, drawn out golf is. And, totally. and, and I, I'm, a, I'm a sweater, too, you know, so I don't like being under the sun unless I'm doing something that I'm actively trying to, you know, get a good sweat in. If I'm just uncomfortable in my polo shirt, I'm not really down with it. So <laughs> not a golfer. All right. All right. Fair deal. <laughs> I assume you uh, you're into jujitsu. I was reading one of your articles recently, and you were talking about rolling with some black belts. Yeah, I've I've been doing mostly Muay Thai for you know the last decade or so. And a year ago, uh, my girlfriend and I got into jujitsu, and it's been great. I mean, we've taken a I had a bit of a neck issue, so I took we've taken about you know four to six weeks off now to let that heal up. But um, generally, it's a, it's a great workout. It's very humbling, so that it kind of trains your ability to learn anything uh, in that it humbles you in that way. Um, great group of people at, at our gym, and I, I understand that's pretty typical. And, um, you know, it's, it's you're learning. And that's the thing that always drew me to martial arts. Like I was kind of a gym rat when I was in my late teens and, and early 20s. But the gym just became so boring, you know, like you just go in and do the same thing. And apart from the basics that you learn when you begin, there's like, there's not much learning going on, whereas with martial arts, you learn every time you step in there. And so, you know, the intellectual stimulation was something that really appealed to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I just started playing golf. Uh, I'm a COVID golfer, so I started when I had extra time. <laughs> and there's like a whole generation of COVID golfers. And I, <clears throat> I uh, n not in a million years would I ever thought I ever would have played golf. I was made fun of golfers my whole life. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever mm -hmm. seen. Um, but some divine injection happened to me um, out of nowhere. I, I had this intense urge. Um, and what I, the aspect of it that I fell in love with was the truthiness of it, um, that there was really no lying in it. Um, it's the simplest rule set. It's you in physics, basically. Um, and you get up there and you have to... Um, you have to sort of accept the truth of the situation and publicly humiliate yourself. And everybody knows the truth. Like you suck and <laughs> that is what it is. And you got to get up and take another shot. So I fell in love with the truthiness of it. Um, and I feel like I got a buddy who's really into jujitsu and I feel like it's a similar um, dynamic. It's, 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 mm -hmm. there's no politics. Like the, the truth is abundantly clear. It's, it's, it's there and it's evident and you have to sort of submit to it. Um, Absolutely. And, and you know, even perhaps more so because there's no tools or equipment. It's just body on body, you know, and you so you get to see the truth of the 
technical, you know, ability, the, the truth of the endurance and the level of fitness, you get to see the truth of one's emotional stability and their humility and how well they can channel their, you know, or restrain their anger or temper because, you know, people don't typically like getting choked out and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so there's a lot going on there to reveal uh, a lot about people. And I think that's why it's such a powerful character builder. Yeah, I, I think uh, what you say right there reveals character in my mind is really key um, to, I would say, my one of my, my life's journey. I started, um, I've been in film and TV, I'm a filmmaker, and started my career as an actor. And um, <clears throat> contrary to popular belief about acting, um, it really is about telling the truth. It's about telling the truth. Behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances is really the point of the craft. Um, mm. uh, so, you know, my favorite stories are those that reveal character and circumstance reveals character it's you know it's that that slow totally you know um uh compression that that sort of squeezes out the truth um which i suppose really leads into um i'd say the the, the overall topic of this conversation is god and um for a little context, I'll give you a little context of where I'm at because I really want to. I was so, um, it, the your article, Money Messiah, definitely had a, altered the trajectory of my life and my consciousness and um, where I'm at now. It, there were three three art three Bitcoin articles that really did it for me. It was Bitcoin is time. Uh, the number zero in Bitcoin and Money Messiah. Those are kind of the, the trifecta that really truly orange pilled me. Um, That's awesome. Two two of my very good friends. Oh, uh, I mean, great they, to be among them. Oh, I mean, legends, legends. And I feel like I think the thing that's attracted me to Bitcoin is the truthiness of it, um, and the the character of the people, generally speaking, that circle around this technology seem to to me at least to be the people who are seeking truth to some mm. extent and have some respect for the truth um <clears throat> so i'll give you a little bit of my own backstory with with god and where i'm at with that and then we can kind of use that as a launching pad to go forward um i i grew up I was not religious. I have no um, real religious, I don't want to say training, but let's say context. You know, I haven't mm -hmm. haven't spent any considerable amount of time studying the Bible, um, wasn't born in a religious family. My mom was certainly spiritual, but she wasn't dogmatic. She's got kind of a funny story, but um, she has a little more context with it than I do. But I grew up um, with a deep sense of, of the truth and a, and a, and a need to experience the truth. And so a lot of the people where I grew up who identified as, let's say, Christians, it was a small town, um, I found to be um, generally not represented. They didn't seem to represent the truth in any meaningful way. So in my mind, I, I thought, it, well, if this is religion, if this is what, if this is what religion, then I'm out. Like, this doesn't seem legitimate to me. But I always, you know, it's a small town. It's not a lot of lights. Beautiful, beautiful place. And all you had to do is look up, and have just some minor level of humility 
to understand, well, hey, I don't really understand what's going on here. And so I kept that with me the rest of my life. And the, I was always curious about religion and the Bible, knowing probably that I would have some sort of way to get to it at some point, but I didn't rush it. I wasn't too worried about it. Um, and I would say Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin is the thing that, that, that in a roundabout way got me to consider things differently. And um, we were, during COVID, my wife and I were like, let's rewatch The Passion of the Christ. Um, I was watching it from a filmmaking standpoint. I mean, it really is from a, just a, a masterpiece from a filmmaking standpoint. But again, I have no reference for the Bible. And so we're sitting there, and um, this is way later in life. The first time I'd seen it, I was much younger. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, the dialogue in this is really good. My wife's like, that's the Bible, you idiot. <laughs> like, okay, all right. That's how, that's how behind I am in all of this. Right. And uh, <laughs> so you got that scene where Jesus and Pontius Pilate are sort of back in, you know, behind the scenes there and they're talking and Jesus has this line. He says, I'm here to bear witness to the truth. And this was after I'd already been Bitcoin to some extent, uh, orange pilled. And <laughs> this line is the thing that just completely transformed all of it for me. And I, and I realized, if this is what, if we're just seeking the truth here, or trying to get as close to the truth as possible, if that's the objective, or that's the point, holy shit, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I can, I can, that's the opposite of what my experience was with all of this growing up. Um, and so, that's just the context of kind of how I've come to it. So I've slowly started to... Um, reorient my entire perspective around that idea. Um, and so your article, I, I, I think after I, I reread your, your article, your treatise, <laughs> um, and I just wanted to pick your brain more on how you came to have that level of understanding around God, around the Bible, um, what your, how you see God, how you experience God, what God is to you. Um, I know those are big questions, but we can just kind of jump off there and um, see where it takes us. A very like basic initial answer is, I mean, that's kind of the point of writing. I mean, we all, we obviously carry around some orientation, some set of values and beliefs, even if many of them are, are subconscious. And the part of the benefit of writing is making them explicit. You know, you write because you know it's in there somewhere and you're trying to make it more explicit, make it more clear. And there is there is a type of faith there that the truth is redemptive, that if I can make it more clear, that if I can get a better grasp on it in my mind, then I can allow it to better orient me. And the, the, the faith is that in better orienting me, I will be so-called redeemed and that I will live a more fulfilling and more meaningful a more so-called successful life. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why in, in narrative format, the truth is framed as something that's redemptive and that you, and that there is a faith component to it. And you strive toward it because you know that it's going to allow you to cohere more closely with the, tr with the broader truth, you know, with, with the, the, with the constituents of reality, let's say, or the most meaningful constituents of reality. And, and that's 
part of the the motivation and value of pursuing it as to you know the direct reason why i wrote that article i actually started off right you know some um argument con was you know bubbled up on twitter it was something to the effect that you know bitcoin maximalists are in a cult or you know they're mean or something like that <laughs> and i was you know just gonna all write true. a very short, all true <laughs> right right I, I was just gonna write a short um rebuttal to that basically and it's 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 like you know in economics they say how do you make a pencil and you have to kind of basically explain the world to to say how you make a pencil because you have to explain every constituent part and there's a lot of explaining to you like depending how far down the line you want to go you have to explain a lot and the same is true when you're dealing with ideas like truth and freedom and you know value and things like that and so in my uh attempt to do that i ended up just over the course of a year writing this article and now that I've had that experience, I'm 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 trying to write a book, but I'm going about it very differently because it's it's far better if you know what you're trying to write at the beginning and you can you can bring more organization and more, you know, a more methodical approach to it. And that was just like painstaking because it just kept evolving until I read it a million times and was like, yeah, that's that seems right. That seems like, you know, what I was digging for internally. Um, and as to how you come to have these insights or or see the world in a certain way, I mean, who the hell knows, right? I mean, how much of is it nature versus nurture and, and how much, why is it that two siblings can, the things that they encounter in the world, they'll interpret differently and they'll influence them di differently in how they develop. You know, um, all I can say is that I've always been a very curious kid. And so that meant when, when there were things that were unusual around books, people, you know, experiences, whatever, I was drawn to them. I wanted to know like, you know, what was going on and, I kind of always had a, a an appetite for the mysterious, you know, like the the mystical, the fantastical, like you know what's behind the the secret door sort of thing, you know. Um, and so, you know, that was the motivation for the article. In terms of uh, my my opinion on, or perception of, or approach to, or belief in God, which is one of the you know the questions of your your podcast. I mean the the, the answer the, the answer that instinctively comes to mind is yes, but I would have to caveat that by saying I think where the organized religions go wrong is that they presume they all presume kind of an, a monopoly on the term or the the notion or the idea. Yeah, and that that just seems and has always seemed to me just patently absurd. You know, it's like Agreed. different different <clears throat> people. And cultures emerge in different areas that have different symbolism, languages, landscapes, environments, food, cultures, all sorts of stuff. But they're still wrestling with this notion. And then they develop different narratives, different words, different symbolisms, you know, different ways of trying to understand that. And I think the the, the real insight is not necessarily the differences between the two, because I think most of them are culturally determined. Now, I'm receptive to the idea that some developed more sophisticated narratives or theologies around that notion. I think that's that's certainly true. I mean, you could, you know, and I don't mean to shit on the, uh, the example of, let's say, a, a small rudimentary tribe in the Amazon, but, you know, might we say that the Christian tradition or the Bible is a more sophisticated elaboration of these themes, uh, you know, probably, it probably is. Now, the, it, it's probably also not as applicable for the environment of the Amazon, you know? So what, con what, was, what was conjured up by these cultures 
was most likely most an, the most applicable most applicable belief system for their environment. Right. So you wouldn't take the belief system of the Amazon and put it in the Fertile Crescent 2000 years ago, nor would you take, you know, what developed there and, and put it in the Amazon. So we have to appreciate um, those cultural uh, differences. But I think the punchline is that everyone, you know, pretty much every culture has grappled with these big ideas and this notion or this concept of God has emerged in all of them. And the big question is why? And maybe we won't be able to answer that. I mean, of course, we have our opinions about it. But I think what's most important to recognize is just how centrally important that pursuit was in all of them. Um, and that's where I think modern culture, um, you know, secular modern culture is playing a very arrogant and hubristic and dangerous game where they're just saying, well, all of those belief systems were cl clearly just um, in response to ignorance about the natural world and about, you know, all these things that we now know, and therefore we no longer require them. We no longer have to engage in that pursuit. I just think that's um, that's a very dangerous game to play. I think it's fine to say, you know, our our, our knowledge today has meant that we're well. I, I I think we can say we would approach the the pursuit of understanding that centrally important system of value let's say or that notion differently based on all the knowledge we now have but it doesn't mean it's no longer important you know like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here i think what what is likely to happen and this is where kind of i'm uh, jumping to the end already but where bitcoin comes into the picture that it as absurd as it sounds and i totally understand it sounds absurd it may be the case that this thing is part of a bringing together of those pursuits throughout all cultures of the world um, and unifying them along very similar principles and values that they all that they all had imbued in them, that developed into these things that are represented and observable in so many of these different systems of belief and spirituality. Maybe it, you know, Bitcoin seems to be, it's, or at least it's possible, that it similarly imbued with those values and virtues and beliefs is the thing that is dissolving the differences that exist between all those different pursuits and unifying the similarities and might that constitute the basis for a you know a spiritual belief system a quasi religion and i say quasi just because i think the term religion has become has so much baggage now that we might need something different yeah um, but might it might it constitute the basis for that in the future and the logic that i'm uh, engaging in right now and i again i admit that I mean, I most certainly have biases and, and things like that that I'm not aware of, but I'm sure my logic will evol evolve over time. But the one I'm engaging right now seems to suggest that, as crazy as it sounds, there's a very real possibility that that could be the case. I've spent, um, I've spent the last, I'm like crypto class of 2017, let's say, is when I, is when I first started uh, kind of down the rabbit hole. And I, I'd say I'd spent the last five years really, really trying to figure out how, how this is wrong and how I'm making a giant mistake and how I'm an mm. idiot, which is generally my, my base case is like, I, I'm an idiot. And so, you know, how am I wrong here? Right. Uh, I'm wrong 99% of the time. <laughs> so I'll just go with that. Um, right. and I always hold out, you know, I'm not a maxi in the sense that, um, you know, I've, I've sold everything and put it on black. Um, but from a, 
from an intellectual standpoint, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to, I, I haven't heard an incredibly compelling argument to the contrary. There's a couple people out there that I think are making interesting points about how uh, the thing might collapse, you know, but I'm, I'm not, but I don't, <laughs> but other than that, I don't, I don't hear too much about it that's um, engaging or interesting in any way. So I guess a couple things on, on what you were, what were you just talking about? I, you brought up faith early in that a little bit. I wanted to pick your brain about faith. Um, I, I never, re- I never totally understood what that meant because I, I felt like faith was um, not very smart thing to, to, you know, not 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 a, not the best tool you could have in your tool belt. Um, and then. I kind of had this realization I was with my wife and we were talking about um, kind of deep pain and struggle. And I had this realization, I think that, you know, the default, the easiest thing you could possibly do, the thing that's accessible to everyone is that you can just lay down and die. You can just quit. That's the, the easiest possible thing that you could do is just say, fuck it. I'm out peace see on the next one um and so it seemed to me like what it seemed to me like the profundity of what jesus was doing was saying despite the fact that i that that despite the fact that the default is suffering and pain and struggle i am going to stand up to that under every circumstance possible, and like, I am going to choose, happiness wasn't it, but I'm, I'm going to choose a particular way of being, despite there not necessarily being any evidence that it, it exists. And I think, I think if I look back on my life, the times where I was willing to seek something that I had no evidence of existing it then reveals itself to you, but but it seems like it only reveals itself to you when you are, um, when it's the when it's the most when when you've got the great the greatest reason to give up. Um, it's like heaven, or for, for lack of a better word, goodness, whatever it might be, really only reveals itself to you if you earn it, and that and that earning it is 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 saying despite the eternal darkness and pain. I am going to go that direction and seek the light. There is light. Mm-hmm. I am going to go find it, and then it reveals itself to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it seems to me like it could, or, could faith simply be like willpower, like you're it, not that you're willing something into existence, but that you it, trust that it is there despite evidence to the contrary. Could that be faith? Yeah, I think I think it could be something like that. You know, our knowledge is forever constrained, right? Nobody can see the future. And we certainly, you know, you might be able to make probabilities about the future, but then again, the, as we were just discussing, the, the kind of purpose of the religious enterprise, or at least one of them, is to ask the question like, well, what is most fundamental? What is the the most prime determinant of our action, of, of what, what results from our action? Or 
you know, what is the the best thing by which to orient our action? What outcomes does that produce? And we can't know those things, right? We can we can run the the software, we can run the program and then observe. And I would make the case that that's what religions have done over the course of millennia. It's just the, the how these systems of narrative knowledge, let's call them, in many cases have developed is through that process. And then they infer based on how people act and the outcomes they produce, what is it that's driving those actions? What 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 programming in the mind, what orientation, what hierarchy of values is driving those actions? Okay, why is it that those things that are driving those actions that result, that produce the best outcomes, let's say, why do they produce the best outcome? And, and I think the inference is it must say something about the environment, quote unquote, that we are operating within that we can't see. Right. The nature, uh, the nature of this, this energetic system that we're in. I mean, part, part of, part of me, part of growing up for me was, was, you know, pain tolerance. Like part of the marketable trait was I can take more pain than you can, and I'm going to suffer better and longer <laughs> um, to do it. And it took me a lot of like unwinding that to try to 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 recognize, hey, you know, if something feels terrible, maybe stop doing that. <laughs> like maybe that doesn't mm -hmm. have to be your permanent reality. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like, if the feedback is that you you have a fulfilled life, something that is full and has less suffering then then but like like obviously that's probably what we should be aiming for and i don't mean you know mm -hmm. like doing a bunch of you know going to vegas and drinking and doing a bunch of coke like i mean deep true fulfillment um feeling good about your life and so you know whatever that signal is whatever that frequency is whatever that vibration is is that not the thing that we should be seeking out um just by virtue of the fact that it's telling us this is good. This is the good thing to to be doing. You feel good doing it, so do it. Could it be that mm -hmm. simple? Yeah, I mean, I think you want to be careful of the the, the follow your bliss advice there because it, it can become perhaps a hedonistic approach to things. Um, so you know, again, of of course, like so many things, it's complicated, and and there may even be a role in this, you know, to to bring that about, to bring that optimal outcome about. I mean at least a, a part of it is probably like not knowing the outcome, but acting a certain way regardless, you know, like it, Faith. if you knew the outcome, right. If you knew that, like, if I do this optimal outcome prevails, it's almost like a degree of unconsciousness. Like it, it, it seems too mechanical. And so perhaps, you know, the, there's an element of, of expressing free will that allows you to bring about the best possible good. And so I think, you know, these faith is also the process of, the, you know, determining what values or principles or virtues are the so-called highest are the the best to orient yourself with and then the reason why i think the term and the idea of sacrifice is so often invoked in these stories is because you you know we are limited beings right we have limited time energy resources and if you're going to the thing that determines your action is also that you know your action is a form of sacrifice so you're basically sacrificing to the thing that's that's determining that and so is truth, is love, is honesty, is integrity, are those things worthy of your sacrifice? Are you willing to subordinate your action to them? And I think the 
what happens if if the answer is affirmative there is that you literally bring those things into being by doing that and in that sense i think you bring so-called god or its characteristics into the world and this is why i think this this notion of sacrificing to the highest good is so prevalent throughout so many religious narrative and 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 story because that is the rub it's you you try to figure out what the highest good is and even you could also work back from it from the other way and say the highest good is the thing that's generates the best outcomes from your sacrifice but that one's a you know perhaps a little bit more difficult to explain so let's just say that once you do that and you subordinate yourself to these values or principles as a result of doing that you you embody them and in a very kind of like you know in bitcoin it may be a good analogy here because i think you're bringing the metaphysical into the physical phenomenal world by doing that you're bringing the so-called love of god into the world by worshiping and sacrificing to that love to that notion you're becoming a, a representative and mm -hmm. the degree to which you can do that on all the most important or fundamental uh ways or, or in regards to the most fundamental values or the truest values let's say then i think that's what produces the most meaningful life and then i think that's also how you determine right action because you know the world is your oyster and you're a free thinking being in the world it's like well what should i do with my time and i think the answer that uh religious narrative and has put forward is orient yourself properly and the you know the 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 right world and the right action will manifest as a result of doing that. It may not be in line with what you, you know, dreamt up when you were a kid or what you've been told by the culture, but it's probably more true than that. And uh, our purpose, our responsibility, our opportunity is to play that game, is to run it forward and see what are the results of, of treating reality in that way. Um, and I think, well, that's, I mean, that's just a, I call it an opportunity because if if that framing is correct, then by engaging in that game and engaging in it honestly, honestly and truthfully and with integrity and with dedication, you gain so much by doing that. You gain more that it, it's the greatest gain that's available to you. Yeah. And so in that sense, um, you know, back to the, the initial question, like, do I believe in God? To me, that's what the notion of, of God is. And, and you know, I don't, I, I don't necessarily think there's a, a bearded man in the sky, but I think there are fundamental parameters that determine our experience of consciousness, let's say, and to the degree, the degree to which we can understand them and then devote our limited resources to bringing them into the world. Uh, I think that's kind of the whole game. I, 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 I completely agree. I, I, to me, to me, God is the truth. The truth is God. God, like I say, like agree with you, bearded man in the sky. I always had a problem with that; it didn't make any sense. What started to make sense, let's say you use gravity as an analogy, and and um, or or let's back up a little bit. You know, one one of the things that blew my mind I, I, after the truth comment in in um, Passion of the Christ, I, so I started googling that verse and I did some research, and of course we came up on on where we're at today as a society, which is that people are trying to get away with the idea or propagate the idea that truth is subjective. Um, and like, 
That's absurd. Like the defining quality of the word truth is that it's eternal. Otherwise, it's if it's it's uh, if otherwise it's not the truth. If it's negotiable, if it's not the, it's not the truth. If it changes regularly, it's not the truth. If it's not sitting there in the corner of your room for all of eternity, regardless of whether or not you give a shit about it or believe in it at all, hell, high water, heat, death of the universe, whatever, the truth will be there, then it's not the truth. And it obviously truth is not subjective or we wouldn't even have a word for it as far as I'm concerned. Um, so th th that's where I'm at. I mean, I'm not even going to go down people who think the truth is subjective. This is like nonsense to me. Um, you could also you could also say like again we have the interpretation we're we're doing the interpreting in the wrong direction like I think we develop these words so truth is the thing that's not a not subjective right right so it's 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 kind of nonsensical to say the truth is subjective no 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 the 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 meaning of that word is the non the non subjective right. is the objective right is the absolute value is the fundamental and right. so it's a and having that notion is what allows us to see it in the variety of places where it might exist, you know, both as the end all be all, but also as, you know, lesser truths, you know, truths in, in, you know, day-to-day -day life, for example, mm -hmm. like that, that very notion uh, that it is, you know, truth is the thing that's not subjective allows us to see the world. And that's the whole idea with our notions and our ideas and our symbols. They allow us to see the world. And I think, uh, you know, just to go back to the man in the sky, thing for a second for whatever reason probably multiple reasons and it may not be that worthwhile to get into them but i think many people take an overly literal interpretation of the world which amongst other things separates them from the world mm -hmm. there's me and then there's the world and how ridiculous is it that you know to assert that the man the creator of the universe is a bearded man in the sky and very few people attempt to see the truth, attempt to see, you know, the pattern, attempt to see the meaning beyond that literal representation. Um, and, you know, so I, I think, and especially in the modern world, and per perhaps that's, you know, kind of the, the issue with, uh, among other things, again, of religion in the modern world is that uh, in our hubris and in our, quite honestly, our lack of genuine attempt to understand these things, I mean, it's almost like we want to dismiss them. So we say, hey, man in the sky, that's absolutely ridiculous. We, I fly in a plane all the time. I look down on the clouds. Ain't no man. So <laughs> that whole thing is stupid, and they were stupid back then. Uh, taking that approach is just is counterproductive to uh, perceiving greater truths. I, I just, you know, I, and, it, like, just look up. Like, like, you don't, anyone who's honest with themselves admits they have no fucking idea what's going on. Um. But to 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 use this analogy, like if you don't believe in gravity, like you're going to die. Like mm -hmm. it's not going to be fun for you. But if you can submit yourself to the truth of gravity, mm -hmm. you can leave orbit. Like the universe opens itself to you. So right. it, in that sense, for me, like once I realized that, I went, well, like Jesus, I gotta, I gotta like. I got to become a warrior of the truth. I don't have a choice. I have to represent the truth and I have to do everything that I can to defend it and protect it because it is our only, um, it is the only thing that is going to protect us at the end of the day. It seemed, mm -hmm. to, it seems to me to be, um, that simple. Um, and 
I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, this is the village idiot here, you know, like I'm not mentally capable of, of even the, the beginning of grasping or understanding why, um, and, and it's interesting and we could spend the, you know, all of eternity trying to figure it out. But what's more important is that we protect the thing that gives us consciousness in the first place. I agree that that's a useful analogy in gravity to be thinking about these things. And of course, gravity is much, e you know, it's much easier to see that analogy because now we, we know how to measure gravity. It's something that's, you know, determined, we can see its effects. You know, prior to realizing what gravity was, it would have been a more difficult analogy. But the punchline is that the truth is what allows you to understand and cohere with the parameters that you're subject to, such that your sacrifices can be more efficient and directed at the most meaningful or valuable ends. And so, you know, again, like what what are what's the what are the physical laws of metaphysics of of God? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. We can identify the the you know the normal physical laws like gravity for example but of course it, it certainly seems that our the experience of consciousness that human beings have is i mean extremely tethered to something other than just the physical world like wh from where do we derive meaning and from where do we derive you know our our sense of value and from where do we do these emotions come from like joy and happiness and love and things like that is it strictly mechanical and and it doesn't seem like it and so the it begs the question what are the parameters that we can't see that are most determinant about the consciousness that we have and the life that that consciousness produces and i do think that's kind of like the, the search for god mm -hmm. and as you climb that ladder as, as you proceed on that journey where you perhaps get closer to that truth you're more able to bring it into being right through those sacrifices that we alluded to earlier and maybe you'll never fully get there or maybe the experience of of nirvana or something is a, is the closest that, that we can get because we're always going to be in individuated human form and you might say that god is love or god is union or god is everything but i think that's that's kind of the process and i think i think all of this works in a fractal sort of pattern nestled within pattern sort of way as well and you so you could say like what is the optimal way to live life? And again, I think the religious narratives kind of nail this in, in narrative language. And they say, love God with all your heart. That's the, you know, that's the one of one of the prime orientations to have in life. And in doing that, you unite with God and you bring its character into your life and into the world. And that's the highest good. But you could also say, well, what's the fractal reflection of how those mechanics work on a smaller level? It's like, well, I want um I want a pizza tonight. I'm in a state of deprivation now. I want that pizza. The value is my sustenance and the enjoyment I get out of it, everything. What I, there's an attraction to that that pulls me toward union with it, which in this case is having it and then of course consuming it. And I like, and then I derive the benefits from that. But the, the point I'm trying to make is like, I think all value is, you know, mechanistically speaking, is desiring union with something and then embodying the the fruits or the results of that union in some way or another and so you know whether it's in re relation to a pizza or whether it's in relation to the the notion that we call god i think mechanically it's similar it's just that which is the more fruitful endeavor which is the one that produces the most good 
in your life and in the world. And again, I think like definitionally, that is the notion that we call God, the thing that the sacrifice to which generates union produces the best outcome. Maybe we could say, um, I, I, <laughs> I, even though I'm a filmmaker, the word create, the word creator really bothers me. Um, yeah, like at, like at best you're rearranging things that already exist in a way that some people find interesting. Um, now I, obviously I'm not going around, <laughs> you know, talking shit on that level. I understand what people are saying. And so I think from a creative standpoint, I think that COVID really showed me this. I did, I, I had no, I did not have an understanding I had no frame of reference at all for how afraid people are in general. I did not grasp that at all pre-COVID. Yeah. And um, I realized through, through that experience that if there is a God, then God must be benevolent, must be, I would say, from a physics standpoint, because you cannot create from a place of fear. Um, I have never experienced that in my life um, from a creative standpoint. Everything that I've ever done um, that was of quality or, or truly creative came from a place of love. It came from a place of faith and trust, um, and you really become a conduit. Fear is when things became destructive for me. Mm. And so creation itself as a as a as a vibe, as a frequency, it always seemed it seems to me now um, that it must come from a place of love. And so I, I think trying to tie back to what you're saying is like th these feelings that we get, talking about where do these feelings come from, good feelings, bad feelings, it seems to me like the good feelings are almost always creative. Um, they're almost always, you know, bringing things together in a higher form than they were separate. Um, and the negative feelings usually tear those things down and destroy them. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe in some sense, I don't know, maybe the purpose is to, maybe the purpose of what we're doing is to, from an entropic standpoint, like an entropy standpoint, is to, is to try to reorganize things the best we can to elongate our opportunity to survive, you know, knowing that eventually everything is going to be, you know, the most disorderly. Maybe our whole purpose is to try to bring things together in a creative way such that they um, can can last longer. I guess they being, I don't know, uh, the, the building blocks of reality. Yeah, could, could be the case, you know. Uh obvious disclaimer when we discuss these things i mean why would we even consider ourselves capable of of understanding such a notion but again <laughs> yeah. i mean it seems like at least the pursuit is integral in in seeing the world clearly truthfully and developing into the type of person that can lead the most meaningful life and and you know uh, propagate those virtues or values out into the world as possible you know so sure you know that i don't take issue with that you know another way of characterizing it perhaps is you know and i i realize i'm using common religious narrative language so anyone listening who's not into that stuff might might be might be having an aversion to this but you know especially in the in 
the, the word sacrifice is often quite triggering, triggering for people. But it, I do think, you know, it's an interesting, another interesting, uh, you know, way of looking at it, potential way of looking at it is that when you sacrifice yourself to these higher values and virtues, like honesty, uh, like love, like truth, like fairness and, you know, all, all the good stuff. And you, I think you're bringing that creative force that we call God, but whatever it is that coalesces the world into existence such that we can experience it, uh, I think that brings the better aspects of it into existence. And, you know, your point just made me think of this, but I, I also think when, so when we sacrifice ourselves to the notion and the characteristics of God, it seems like optimal outcomes uh, manifest. When we sacrifice the world to ourselves, it seems like suboptimal outcomes manifest, even though they seem to be the most gratifying in in the moment a lot of the times. And I think, you know, when we when we talk about this notion of good versus evil, I think that's one way of beginning to address it and saying that when we subordinate ourselves to higher values or higher good, like we can even leave God alone for a second, I think that's what manifests the actions that manifest better outcomes for everyone. When we sacrifice everything to ourselves, when we are the thing most deserving of sacrifice, I think we basically destroy the world in service of 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 the self, you know, and you might say of the ego as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that characterizes short-term thinking and immediate gratification, you know, broadly speaking, fiat behavior. Um, <laughs> if we want to use a, a kind of a Bitcoin term, yes, we do. The one that's thrown around a lot. Um, but I, I do think there's some truth to that in that if you're not orienting yourself and if you're not making those exchanges with reality, let's say if sacrifice is too triggering um, around the, those virtues and trying to embody them and bring them into your life. And instead, you're trying to say that the world should bow to me, basically, and that, every, you know, I, I want the, the world to be sacrificed to me and others to be sacrificed to me. Then I think that's what constitutes the outcomes that have been called evil in the past. And again, in this framework that we've kind of been you know, roughly discussing, I think that makes some sense. You know, of course it needs some refinement and, and, and lots of other cushioning to piece it together, but, um, it's kind of a line of thinking that I'm, I'm currently working on. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think for me, you know, just, I like to keep things just as, as simple as I can when I'm, um, you know, just venturing forth into something new. And I think that, what you said just nails it on the head for me. It's like you're not you, the individual, are not the authority. Um, you don't you don't have the capability to uh, to dictate the truth. Um, it's really not within your capability at all. It seems to me, as a human being, your your best opportunity is to submit to. It, let's just say the law of gravity. Like you don't, you don't have the ability <laughs> to change that yet, if if ever. Mm -hmm. And so your best opportunity is to submit to it, or you're going to end up having a really, really, really rough time. Um, yeah. And and a lot of people don't like that because they think it kind of takes away their their free agency or their free will. But I think a, well, the irony is that, that it opens you up, right? Like this is right. the thing that opens the universe up to you is to accept that. There are limitations. I mean, our art is 100% the same thing. I mean, you have to create a structure. Mm -hmm. Within that structure, you can then, then there's an infinite amount of ways to play that scene out. 
so to speak. You know, you give you give a little kid like here's a paper clip and a banana and some duct tape. You know, and it's like oh, there's like everything can happen, and you tell them to do <laughs> go do whatever you want. It's like uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that, and um, it is those limitations that that allow us to create. So um, yeah, agree. Yeah, I I think I think from this is kind of where Bitcoin comes into me to to have so much profound potential, which is that it is just the simplest uh, rule set that we can all operate by, such that the universe can open itself up. It's it's mm-hmm. just the, this this you know mo- like most games like we're saying jujitsu or golf or whatever like simple rules, not politics. Um, not fiat, not lies. <laughs> like get mm. as close to the truth as possible, such that you can, um, you know, operate by the rules of the universe, the simplest rules possible. Well, yeah, and that is exactly the point. You know, and I think what religions tried to do in the past is say, what is the rule set, if implemented, generates the best results for everyone, and. Of course, again, the inference that has been made and the reason why these rule sets became so central is because, well, what does an effective rule set say about the environment that we're playing the game in? It must say, it must be cohering in some profound way because otherwise it wouldn't be an effective rule set. And the environment that we're playing the game in is both our consciousness, the natural world, and the metaphysical that we can't, you know, see or touch. So, that's that's what I think gives those rule sets, i.e. religion, so much gravity is because of that inference. And then, as you say, what does it mean now that we have a rule set that seems so effective at generating positive outcomes or at least, you know, so far so good? And we'll see what the potential in the future is. And again, I you know, the assertion I make in the piece is that there must be a reason for that. There must be a reason why those rules specifically, what that what those rules and what that system both permits and prohibits, the reason why it's successful, the reason why it's attracting so many people, the reason why it's resonating with so many people's values and principles must be because it's it's cohering with something broader, something deeper, something grander. And uh, I think that's, again, always been the case with these fundamental rule sets that we constitute civilization or culture or society around. Um, they work because they're true in a profound sense. And, you know, you don't have to know that. You don't have to be a philosopher because you can just play by the rules and and they'll work and they'll generate, you know, they'll generate a positive outcome or the most positive outcome. Um, now, there's a lot of nuance here and there's a lot of arguments to be made. Well, yeah, well, former rule sets weren't implemented properly or they weren't adhered to properly and they were corruptible, et cetera, et cetera, which makes the case for Bitcoin even more compelling because is it a rule set now that has no authority enforcing it and that is not corruptible? And if that is indeed the case, that we have the best rule set without an authority uh, administ- administering it that can't be corrupted, how profound might that be? Especially if it is a genuinely true or good rule set because of how it interacts with, again, the environment in which it's being applied. And that's what conjures up the notions of like, well, you know, it, kind of the, the notions of it being a divine object in a sense, because it is so imbued with those fundamental truths. Yeah, it like it exactly. It's not something that you can, you can dictate, 
you you know like it was I, I think you said in your article but but you know in the beginning there was the word the word right this code this this rule set um by which we sort of abide by and then it sort of manifest from the word realm to the physical realm it applied the rules of physics into this thing um and it it really is divine in that way it's truth it's it's just truthiness and it doesn't it does not care what you think about it and how you want it to operate and how you want it to be it is what it is and you have to submit yourself to that truth um which, which is always what you have to do with truth because again like you said at the beginning it's it is the unshakable it is the constant it is the objective thing so the only option you have is to submit to it because you you can't change it bingo this 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 again inspires the notion of, of sacrifice the, the only thing you by submitting to it you're orienting your behavior around it you're make you're, you're making that you know behavioral exchange to it it, it cannot change so you must change you must act act in reference to it and you know so the the logic kind of works on and this is why in the piece you know i invoke religion and we talk about these things and these discussions that are happening more broadly in the space kind of borrow theological concepts and philosophical concepts because there's really good stuff there and they they help to contextualize the potential you know meaning or gravity of this new phenomenon and you know as you said in in the piece i say you know uh the word made flesh right the the information the those fundamental values imbued in a human character or at least you know whether or not you know whether the historicity of jesus was fact or not but in at least in narrative human character those fundamental objective truths being imbued into that character and serving as an example and serving as a rule set let's say and now as we're as as human beings have developed the power to turn words into environments to turn information into environments i.e software the digital worlds um it seems like now we've figured out a way to bring those fundamental objective values or truths into that domain as well where previously we had we we didn't have the capacity to or we didn't do it um and so we've now you know the same process you know the the word the information coming into the environment of of human beings of human culture is now also being shifted into and potentially in a, a more high fidelity form into the digital worlds and, and digital environments that we're now creating that constant those truths those things that you can't argue with and that and and again that are so seem so deeply fundamental and so deeply good because if they weren't like you know why would they be so again operable and so uh cons so capable of generating what we perceive to be good or positive outcomes and it's a far out notion, obviously. I mean, again, like I said, I, I can't say it enough. I understand how crazy this stuff sounds, especially to a, a modern secular person who's already made up their mind about, you know, there's nothing really redeeming about religion and not much to be learned from, from, you know, pursuing an understanding in that domain. So that, you know, these assertions are very distant from being uh, legitimate or rational in their perspective. But again, I mean, all I'm trying to do is approach these things with uh, humility and and like you said trying to seek and speak and see you know see the truth to the extent that i can and so far this is what what's coming up and i think uh if we all commit ourselves to doing that and we all you know 
subject ourselves to the discipline that's required to really explicate them and, and articulate them and put them out in a form that other people can consider them as well, then we might get somewhere or we'll just continue on that journey of hopefully getting closer to that truth. And, and again, back to that idea of redemption, like I think there's a faith wrapped up in that because why would you devote so much time and resources to pursuing the truth? The reason is because you believe that the closer you get to it, the more redemptive it's going to be, the more fulfilling, the more satisfying your life is going to be as a result, the better oriented you're going to be in the world. And that is literal redemption, but you don't know that that's the case. And so there's a, there's a faith involved, you know, it's something that you believe without fully knowing. Yeah. I, and I feel like, I feel like that's just sort of, I feel like that's so deeply rooted whether it's in our mind or our soul, I'm not really sure, but I feel like everyone sort of understands that on some level, which is like, you know, I, of course, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so it's there. It's like the signal. People is act beeping. out religious lives every day, <laughs> you know, of course they just, uh, they won't explicitly or, or consciously admit it to themselves. Right. Doesn't it, what is Jordan, Pe is it Jordan Peterson who, who makes the star Wars analogy? You know, it's like, you, well, that sure. Right. And that's kind of taking it to an extreme where they're taking the whole, like a whole kind of belief and you, in their actions, you can see how motivating it is to them. But even in just like, as you said, the structure of almost daily life, like the themes that are represented in those narratives and they're narrativized in, in religions, you're acting out every day in relation to all the different, th so many of the different things you do in your life and the goals you're pursuing and the relationships that you're you're starting and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you could easily narrativize, a, you know, an individual, a modern individual's life, and it would look a hell of a lot like religious story. Uh, it's just that they don't see that and they seem unwilling or uninterested in asking the question of, well, why is that? And what, what does that mean? You know, they, it, they seem more, um, you know, more willing to just dismiss it because it sounds sounds ridiculous at this point do you do you think that the truth can can ever be bad can it be it can be i think it can be inconvenient you know i think it's i think it's a like tautological that it can't be you know i i think the, the truth can put you I mean, again, it depends on the perspective. Like I think, as we were saying before, like the, the truth is the, the word that we use for that idea of the thing that is redeeming and therefore it, it can't be bad. You <laughs> yeah. can certainly, you can, it can be certainly inconvenient for you, but who is you? Is you, your ego is, is your, is you, your, your, your ego that has other plans for you or that wanted more comfort or wanted things to be easier or didn't want to learn a certain lesson at a certain place at a certain time. That's all totally possible. You know, there's many inconvenient truths in that way. You know, I don't want to go take out the garbage because I'm lazy. Well, <laughs> right. the garbage has to be take, taken out or it's going to pile up. So, but that's on us. That's back to this notion of aligning with or, co or, co or cohering most closely with, with the truth. And I think um, that's what it asks, you know, that's the opportunity it provides us. And we can ignore it or we can reject it. And I think that's where we get into distress or broadly speaking problems. But I don't think the truth can be bad, you know, as a matter of definition, basically. So, so Bitcoin is good. I mean, we've, we've solved it. <laughs> no, I, Seeming I, like it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that completely. I, this is what I'm coming to. And I, I, I mean, for me, I kind of started out as that I was never atheist, but I was certainly more secular. And, um, it's been a, I would say probably a, I mean, 
many, many year transformation. But um, I think the, like cynicism is exhausting. Like mm-hmm. it's not something that is restoring. It's not something that generates a, a good feeling. Um, and neither does blind faith, but, but, but blind faith is different than, um, than coming to the realization that there are things you don't understand and you, and you would be better off if you submitted yourself to either seeking it or just trusting that, you know, I don't understand gravity, uh, but you know, it works. So I'll just have to let that one go. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is is kind of back to that feeling, that sense of God, that sense of the truth, that feedback that's being provided to us uh, seems to be um, that goodness, as, as separate from negativity or whatever negative feelings are, you know, you eat poorly, you feel badly. Like the truth of the situation is that that's not good for you. And how do you know it? Because you feel like shit. You don't really need mm-hmm. to think about it beyond that. You just have to be willing to accept that you don't feel good. You have to accept that the truth of the situation is you don't feel good. You don't have to inter- you don't have to intellectualize it too much. It seems like to me, um, it seems like this is where the deception generally starts. Um, you know, if there's feeling and then there's thinking, it seems to me like deception usually starts here. I don't. You know, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is like your. It doesn't seem to me like your body can lie. You know, mm-hmm. like your body's not like, oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna pretend like Zach's got a broken leg today. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. <laughs> right. You know, I'm sure there's some doctor who's like, no, there's definitely a disease where that happens. Whatever. I don't know, phantom limb syndrome or something. But right, right. Um, it just, I would agree. It doesn't seem to me like the truth can be bad, and so therefore it seems pretty simple. Like we like seek truth, or at least, at least abide by it. At least a well, this is by. why this is why the truth shall set you free, mm-hmm. because it, it is exclusively redeeming. Now, again, you might not see it that way, but that means that something in you must change, not something in the truth. You know, so mm-hmm. a lot of people, I, I think, um, you know, you might characterize our era, probably all eras, to be fair, as a strong identity with the so-called ego self, right? With the let's say the non-unitive aspects of our identity. The things that separate us from from other people that make us unique individuals and um you know in that context i think certain truths can be rather uncomfortable because they might instill or reveal a different or more fundamental orientation to people and so uh if you have a really you know strong ego you may be cut off to them and that truth when it confronts you Maybe it will seem very uncomfortable, or maybe it will seem wrong, or maybe it will seem inconvenient. But perhaps that just means that, you know, your perception and your idea of yourself or your idea, you know, your identity is more limited than it should be. And that's the cause of the discomfort rather than the truth being somehow corrupted or wrong. Again, like, I just think definitionally the truth is the thing that's redeeming. That's why it sets you free. Your job is to figure out why and how and how to cohere with it yeah yeah i yeah i i I would agree do do you mind do you mind if i ask you like a little bit about um your background with regards to religion as an institution sure yeah like how you you've come to organize your thoughts in such a coherent way 
Um, sounds similar to you. I grew up in a very secular household. Basically, we went to church on Christmas Eve and Easter with our grandma because she liked to do that. And we were good grandkids. And so we accompanied her. But uh, no one in my nuclear family ever discussed religion or anything like that. And so I, I would I would say I was my initial opinions were formulated via osmosis through the culture, basically, which is, oh, this thing, it's still around. It's kind of a vestige of, you know, uh, past generations. Um, and most most people I know aren't really into it and kind of think it's silly, but it's still still something to be treated with respect because a lot of people, it's very important to a lot of people. So, you know, it is what it is. No, not a big critic, not a big, and certainly not a proponent, but whatever, you know, let's focus on other things. And in my earlier years and curiosities, I was much because of that, you know, and I was very dismissive of it. And I just, just, I thought it was so ridiculous. Like, you know, like people don't see the coincidence. Like if you grew up in Egypt, you're a Muslim, or if you grew up in, you know, the Southern U S you're a Christian, people don't see like how geographically or culturally determined their belief systems are. It just seemed, you know, it all seemed absurd, like I said earlier. And so I pursued like the philosophical route. Like I wanted to read, you know, the great philosophers instead of the great theologians. Cause I thought like, I thought it was kind of nonsense. And I thought, you know, they were too partisan in a sense, they were too biased on their own, you know, particular religion. And the philosophers were more broad, you know, they weren't tainted by a particular bias. They were just asking, you know, they were just asking why in, in the larger context, not in the context of a particular faith. Um, and you know that I, I I was always open to the fact that there was a like I didn't think we lived in an inert un universe, right? Like I didn't think it just seemed silly to think that you know here we are having a conscious experience, but you know there's no consciousness in the universe, and there's no meaning, and there's no there's no force with which pulled all this together. It's just you know throwing up a bunch <laughs> of dust and and it it collected in this way because reasons you know that always seemed um a kind of the, the most far-fetched explanation to me i agree but i certainly didn't have anything else to put in its place so you know you just kind of let it be and um so i pursued philosophy um i pursued you know the eastern the eastern religions i was more receptive to early on like buddhism and taoism and hinduism and that kind of stuff uh and then you know, psychedelics entered the scene in my early 20s, and they were, you know, very impactful in, <laughs> to say the least, broadening my uh, perception of what's possible and, and the different forces that might be at play here. And so that influenced my thinking for sure. And then as it, you know, I was always fairly open-minded, so I did occasionally dip my toes into um, the Western religions, let's say, Christianity, Islam, but I never had a really good context for them. And then the work of Jordan Peterson uh, definitely helped me to see them a different way. And then in particular, his book Maps of Meaning was very informative for my uh, ability or my perspective on interpreting religions. And so um, I would say that that's kind of the chronology of, of, of how I began to see these things. And I'm still on the journey, you know, like when you ask me the question, do I believe in God? And I, you know, 
Peterson gives the answer all the time. It's like, well, what do you mean believe and what do you mean God and all, all that kind of stuff? And it's kind of, it seems evasive, but I can certainly appreciate where he's coming from when he gives an answer of that kind. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm writing a book right now is because I'm trying to clarify in my own mind how I'm currently seeing these things and the patterns that I'm seeing and, and the insights and wisdom that it seems to be, or at least I'm hoping it's generating. And uh, I hope by the end of that process, I'll have a, a more clearly articulated view and opinion on all this stuff, and I'll be able to share it with people, and then we'll be able to pass it back and forth and refine it together. But that's kind of been the, the journey in, in terms of, you know, religion. Sounds, sounds super similar to me. Uh, I think Jordan, Jordan Peterson, for me, as well, really opened up, um, really opened me up to the idea of what the Bible could be or is or was or has been um definitely a similar journey in that regard um <clears throat> i think i do find it it get it, it it gives me a lot of hope um that's, that's not the right word i don't like the word hope i'm incredibly excited for what it seems to me this for what's what's about to happen or what's starting to happen. It seems to me like there really is some sort of renaissance happening right now. Um, Bitcoin certainly seems to be a significant part of that, but I think Bitcoin just points all of us to um, the truth in general. What is the truth, and to and to fight for the truth. Um, and it's just it's it's not it it's not. So, it's not something that I ever thought. It's like golf. It's not a journey I ever thought I would be on. It's not something I ever gave a ton of thought to. I sort of fought for the truth in my own context and what I was doing with my life, and it was always important to me. But I had never really considered the idea that that <laughs> all of the things that I was avoiding was exactly the thing that um, that I was trying to do in my own right. I just didn't want to submit to. <laughs> I thought it was original, I guess, in some way. Um, seeking the truth in that way. And it's just, it's really, really, um, it's really encouraging that, that this is happening at scale and people like you are doing what you're doing. It's incredibly helpful, um, to articulate things in that way. Um, well, I mean, I, I love to hear that. So thank you for saying so, but th this is, I totally agree. And on my podcast, I mean, it seems exclusively lately, but a lot of the people I speak to are just random Bitcoiners out there in the wild. You know, it's not the the influencers or the big names that a lot of people know. Like, cause I, I just want to know, am I the only one? Like, is are more people, is this happening to more people? And what I get back is exactly what you just said. It's like somehow, and you know, we can discuss potential reasons or not, but the, the punchline is that somehow pursuing an understanding of this thing in Bitcoin is facilitating or inspiring a type of clarity that's dawning or like a um you know the journey of recapitulating many things your understanding and your perspective on many 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 things and it's seemingly one that's that's almost a tool for doing so with a greater degree of truth like you're able to understand yourself understand the world understand what you value what you're striving toward with a greater deg degree of clarity and truth and that is like what the result seems to be it's just that is so invigorating, that is so positive, that is so hope inspiring, that is so, like you said, it's it seems to be inspiring or engendering a type of renaissance. Now it's still very early days. I mean, there's 
you could probably count the number of people that have like have that phenomenon is occurring in like in the thousands or you know roughly 10,000 or something like that but it's so consistent everyone i talk to it's like that's what's happening i try to understand this thing and in my attempt to understand something like this that we're figuring they're finding out is so deeply meaningful it's forcing me to pursue a greater understanding or renewed understanding of so many other things basically i'm regenerating my perspective tethered to a greater degree of truth that's what this process of of going down the bitcoin rabbit hole seems to be and the result of that is a more fulfilling more meaningful life more genuine valuable honest relationships being able to have more clarity on what you want to pursue in life and what you want to accomplish all that stuff and much more of course and it again like it's i just can't believe how consistent it is so the the big burning question for me and and, and the reason why i'm kind of trying to to pursue what's happening beneath the surface with this in in money messiah and in what i'm currently writing is because to me nothing is more meaningful than that like you can say a new money is emerging and you can say a new pristine you know collateral and you can you know and you can talk about the macro situation and all that kind of stuff but like how that is far less meaningful or at least it's not immediately apparent what the meaning of that is than this type of change in people's lives because what's the the value or the significance of anything right right doesn't inspire change in people's lives then it's it's not things are special because of the behaviors that they permit or prohibit or inspire and this thing seems to be inspiring and also prohibiting and permitting you know based on the the rules of the protocol we alluded to earlier seems to be inspiring consistently and tremendously positive changes in people's lives and i talk to people all the time that were depressed suicidal this and that and the other thing and they they're, they're reconstituting their self their image of themselves their lives and what they want it to be and it's all being inspired by this thing and as as a part of that people are looking back at at religion at things like philosophy and religion and faith because they're realizing that there's a lot of overlap here in determining like what are the things that are most important to you what are, what are the things that are most valuable to you and what should they be and how do they influence your life and again as we've been discussing that is a big part of the the uh, the motivation or the the use of of religious narrative let's say and so it's it's almost like everything is on the table to be re recapitulated and it's almost like you know we live in such a clown world right now and so it's everything seems kind of upside down and so it seems like this thing is just right side upping the world for people it's it's making the world make sense again or or make sense to a degree that is unprecedented because of this prism of truth that you're now able to see the world through and um i just nothing is more interesting to me than the impact that that's having on individuals lives because it's so uniquely and uh, uh so uniquely and so tremendously positive let's say yeah it 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 orients it gives you something to compare and contrast everything to um mm. in a way that that I've never come across anything this interesting. I mean, for me, it's been five years or whatever, and it's like it just like keeps getting more interesting. I'm like, fuck. 
And how uh, awesome is that to be so intellectually <laughs> stimulated? You know, because a lot of people, you know, as we were saying before, you look out on the world, things don't seem to be going in a great direction. You get kind of hopeless, you get kind of nihilistic, or you get kind of focused in your narrow lane of whatever it is. Um, and your world becomes smaller because you, you, car you carve out your own little niche, even if you're able to do so, you know, in positivity and happiness and stuff. But, you you know, the world gets smaller because it doesn't seem like it makes sense and it doesn't seem like it resonates with the better aspects of you. And so it's like, well, why should I bring the better aspects of myself to the world? And that, you know, that's a that's not a very motivating sort of perspective to have. And then this thing comes along and it and again, it, it reverses that. It's like, wow, now I see how good the world can be. Now I see how so many of those problems can be rectified. And that calls the best in you forth because it's like, well, now it's up to you. Before, you know, you said, well, it's, it's not up to me that the, the Titanic can't be turned around. So what's kind of the point? Now it's people are looking out and saying, wow, I see I see how this can be resolved. And now the only variable that I can, you know, that I'm in control of is me. And so how do I want to orient myself to participate in that and to 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 derive the most benefit from it. And that seems to be what we're seeing largely with, with people that are in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree it, the measure of something's coolness, I guess is for me, I'm not, I'm, I've never been super interested in, um, I mean like, I don't know, Lambos are cool, I guess they go fast and it's cool, but like that, <laughs> like it gets old pretty quickly. Right. Because yeah. it doesn't seem to um, sort of have that. It's like oh, okay, maybe a better example, like a really good, a really good wine, or a really great song, or a really great movie. They get better and better and better and better the more you, the more they open up, and the and you can continue to compare and contrast you, you and yourself at different phases in your life to a great song or a great poem or a great movie, and that thing reveals more and more deep deep truth to you as you uh, interact with the thing, because the thing itself is a great song or a great film. They are oriented towards the truth. To the, that, that's their purpose. And so mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is it seems like, why is a song amazing? Why is it an amazing piece of art? Because of what it, the opportunity it affords the person interacting with it. Um, and it's affording us boundless opportunity, mind-blowing opportunity. Um, so I think for me, that's like part of the coolness. I mean, the technology itself, like that's great, but what is it doing for humanity or what is it doing for us in service of something else? It's like the tool is in service of us and we're in service of God, right, I guess right. the truth. I don't know. And you could also say, I mean, that that invigorating feeling, that intellectual stimulation, that ambition towards a potential future. I mean, you could wrap all that up and just call it meaning. Mm -hmm. This thing has introduced a, a tremendous amount of meaning in people's lives. And on the surface, a lot of people will be critical of that. Like, bro, take, pump the brakes. You're talking about, you know, magic internet money. It shouldn't, you know, be, you know, <laughs> so meaningful in your life. But this is what we're trying to figure out. Because what we're saying is, well, it is. Sorry. Like, I know it's weird. I know nobody expected this, but it is. And so why is it? What about it is causing that degree of invigoration and ambition and potential and, again, broadly speaking, meaning? What, what's going on there? And that's why we have to have these somewhat, you know, out there conversations about investigating, you know, religion and theology and philosophy and, and comparing it 
and analogizing it to this thing because that seems to be the realm where people previously derived the most meaning. And so if we're dealing with something that now is having a similar effect, we've got to consult the other areas where the same effect has occurred and say, mm. why did it occur there? And in the process of doing that, we might very well improve on the enterprise that those those things were devoted to themselves. Mm. We might actually get closer to that notion that of what we call God or the source of meaning. That's another definition for for God, perhaps. Mm. And it's it's interesting that you know you talk, you use the example of the Lambo. It's like I think the reason why ultimately that's not what most people strive for because I do think we strive for the meaning that's most sustaining. This is kind of Peterson-esque, right? He's like, the thing that you should strive for is the meaning that can see you through anything that befalls you. Mm. That's the most valuable mm. thing. Um, you know, the hardship, the everything, the thing that can see you through that. And I think a potential answer to that, and one that's probably been espoused and put forward throughout the ages, is love. Love is the most sustaining meaning. And love, whether it's for God or for another person, that can see you through everything. That That can you can sub submit yourself to the greatest hardships and that alone will allow you to survive through it. Maybe that's the case, but it, you know, it could also be the case that the constituent elements or the values that are imbued in Bitcoin that may also be imbued in these religious stories, you know, the characteristics of, or the character of, of God, let's say, or the values at the top of the hierarchy, those two presumably are amongst the most sustaining things, are the most amongst the most sustaining meaning. And so is it any surprise that as when we're encountering something that as we're we're figuring out is imbued with those values, it is eliciting this sort of response of meaning. That it's it it's the meaning we derive from it is so sustaining and far more sustaining than the the transient excitement or, or enjoyment of a neon colored Lambo in our driveway and whenever we get to to drive it, but something far greater than that for its implications, for what it can do for our life, for what it can do for other people's lives and the world and rectify so many of the problems we see. That is a deeply meaningful thing. And so what we seem to be doing is simply responding to that in the same manner that we've always responded to the things of greatest meaning. Yes, yes. And, and you know if 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 creation is the frequency of love or love is creation or creation is only possible through love you know <laughs> it's a ridiculous way of looking at it but like if you're coming at things with love you have like infinite lambos like the lampo is like not <laughs> you crazy many fucking lambos as you want well that's the point because love <laughs> is infinitely meaningful to you right and so if a lam if a lambo is like 1% meaningful to you or whatever unit you want to use then not, none of it compares to infinite. So, the, you know, the love is always, uh, in contrast, infinitely more meaningful at the end of the day. What do you think, um, if you were to compare the characteristics of Bitcoin to the characteristics of God, what do you think that those would be? Well, that's an easy question. Um, well, I mean, the, the ones that seem apparent, I mean, one God, uh, they both seem to subject everyone to the same rules, right? The rules of the game that so-called God puts forward and the rules of the game of Bitcoin, 
the the same are applied to everyone. Also, it seems to be the case that neither can be corrupted. Um, and so just by virtue of those two things, I mean, there is kind of an ethic that emerges from that. And that is that everyone on a fundamental level is of equal value. We don't generate the same market value. We each have different skills and those are rewarded differently in the market. But, you know, on a fundamental spiritual level, we are all equal, no matter what you're capable of, color, creed, any of that stuff. And the Bitcoin network treats everyone in that same way. I think also we, we've talked about this notion of truth, right? God is truth. God is love. God is union. And I think a network that operates in which no one is, is given any advantage and that can't be corrupt, it fosters relationships that are somewhat akin to love. Right, it fosters the type of that type of union because of the equality of, of of relationship that it it somehow establishes, and then this notion of the truth shall set you free. I mean, I think by virtue of the fact that Bitcoin's signal can't be corrupted, and therefore it's a true representation of the value actions that people take and exchange uh, exchange for it, or use use Bitcoin as a means of a, a kind of exchanging and and um, taking those actions. Uh, I think it generates a type of freedom. And the one that's most apparent, and I think there's probably several that you could investigate, but especially in relation to the world and the culture that we live in today, by virtue of the fact that it's infor incorruptible information, and there's something, something deeply profound about the liberating capacity of incorruptible information. Again, the truth, the word. I mean, again, the same sort of theme. But because it's it's incorruptible, truthful information. It accrues a tremendous amount of value. And it's the capacity for you exclusively to know and control that information and the value that accrues to it that sets you free in, in a culture, in a market environment, because nobody can steal from you and the government can't surreptitiously steal your wealth through inflation. And it is the means by which you are able to carry out your ends in the world by using that money and plan for the future and have that optionality that we often speak of. And so, I mean, again, we could probably dig into it further, but right there you have kind of love, union, freedom, truth that are that this system seems to be making available to people. And it would, you know, if you ask me to describe God or at least a composite, I would probably use the very same words. I say God is love, truth, freedom, union um so that's one way of looking at it i suppose i i mean i mean that i've that's kind of what i'm getting at it really seems like <clears throat> it, it kind of comes i'm not down. saying so, so, sorry to Wait, interrupt no, but i'm not saying like obviously bitcoin is not god no I, nobody's making that assertion and i hope people people don't misunderstand me <laughs> but i i think we can look out in the world or the you know the things, the ideas, the the things in the in the manifest or phenomenal world, they can take on. They're they're clearly imbued with certain characteristics, and we interact with them based on those characteristics and what the meaning of those characteristics are. And when we encounter something that seems to be imbued with the the characteristics, the meaning, the values, the principles that also seem to be most represented in the composite of the idea or notion that we might call God, I don't think. I think the word that we might instead use to describe them is simply like closer to God or 
divine in some way or or you know uh a representation a more high fidelity representation of the principles of the idea that we call god something like that you know i, I just want to make clear i'm not like bitcoin isn't god but it, it's interesting that it seems to be um making available to people and inspiring a sort of meaning that's akin to those principles that have often been attributed to God and the meaning that they've evoked in people and response that they've evoked in people. It certainly seems to me to be at the very least a tool that we can use to bring us closer to, I'm just going to say the truth, meaning right. God, you know, in the show I'm saying, you know, help me, join me on my quest to find God. Really, I just mean the truth. What is the truth? Um, and so, you know, what, what, I got a buddy of mine who's helped me with this. He's a childhood friend of mine, and, and I consider him like one of the few people that I know that's truly Christian. And I mean Christian in a behavioral, non-institutional sense. He really, really walks the walk um, in, a, in an incredibly impressive way. And he's—I've talked to him deeply about this stuff, and one of the things that 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 resonated, one of the things that stuck with me that he said is that he's deeply, he's deeply critical or— conspicuous of institutions that masquerade as Christian, specifically. Um, and one of the things that was illuminating for me that he said was, you know, any institution that's putting itself between you and God is, you know, doing it wrong, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And it seems to me like at least, at least Bitcoin is cutting fat, so to speak, and it's, it's, getting us directly linked. There's at least more of a high fidelity um, connection that we can all have with one another using this tool, which, as we've said before, if it's bringing us closer, if, if there's a, a higher fidelity signal, if there's less noise, if it's more truthful in that sense, then it must be good. It must be uh, allowing us to um, work towards <laughs> whatever work towards getting closer to the truth or whatever our purpose is here. Um, it seems to me like it, it, if it's cutting noise, it, it kind of has to be. Um, and then in that sense, it's kind of got, it's like a great, you know, it's like a great, you, you know, you get up a guitar and you just like slam out a just a simple E chord, like on a nice amp. And when it's perfect, it's, you could, you, you could listen to that forever. I mean, it's just always awesome. That's never not awesome. Um, cause it's just, pure it's pure there's no noise it's pure signal yeah i agree that's a good way of putting it yeah. you know and anytime you encounter you know truth or something that that generates truth and dials down noise and i i think you especially in the intersubjective realm i mean there's not many things that we can assign truth to in the intersubjective realm because we you know so much of our perception is subjective and especially when we try to communicate it with others. And so we can look at, you know, the natural world and we can identify a lot of objective things through experimentation and measurement and that kind of stuff. But there's very few things that you can get consensus on in the intersubjective world, you know, between people in the social world. And this thing seems to be something that like, as a matter of process generates that, you know, generates a pristine signal for, for consensus to be arrived at in the interactions between individuals. And uh, again, I, I like your framing that anything that that uh, 
is a representation of, or especially anything that propagates truth to the degree to which it propagates truth, you might call it, you know, closer to God because God, you know, definitionally is capital T truth. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and on your the point about your friend, you know, what I'm loving about this renaissance of, of, of thought is that I've had a lot of really great conversations over the last two years, especially with, you know, deeply religious people. Um, and now once again, like I can, now they have to be genuine in their search for truth and they make the assertion that they've found it in, in their faith. And I have to be genuine in my search for truth. Those are two critical components of a productive discussion, you know, that's seeking truth itself. But insofar as that's been the case, and it has often been the case, I've been able to have just really enriching conversations with, um, those people because, you know, the they're serious, you know, and in, in this system of truth seeking, that is Christianity, let's say, um, they have found a lot of truth and they have, they have pierced through the analogies and the narrative to, to discover truths that are quite operable in their own lives. And they're very conscious of it. And so it's been a real treat to be able to engage them and, and throw these ideas around. And, and again, like maybe even get somewhere ultimately, I mean, step one is, is, bringing them into your own life and and embodying them and, and seeing what they produce. But all the better if uh, those conversations or that writing or any of that kind of stuff contributes to our collective effort to triangulate or zero in on on such things. Because again, what what's more important? Certainly nothing has been treated as more important in our history up to this point. And I, I don't think we're going to change that anytime soon, much as, you know, current modern culture might think differently. It and it really does, doesn't it? It's just like I it just baffles me that that people are truly really trying to make the argument that truth is subjective. Like preferences are subjective. <laughs> like the, yeah, but I mean again, we, we live in the world today. It, yeah. You know, biological sex is subjective, apparently now. You know, like it we, we and I I get you know I think fiat has thrown oil on the fire here, but it may very well be the case that and again for whatever ultimate reasons or motivations that Western culture has um, demoted the importance of spirituality or or you know religious wisdom let's say over the course of the last hundred years perhaps that's part of the reason why we've had you know this uh, this subjectivism. You know this 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 relativism emerge. Maybe we're maybe we're responsible for fiat. Maybe maybe fiat's our fault. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. why would it be here if we weren't? <laughs> you know, like uh, I there's a, there's a reason why it emerged in this era, and some are of course technological, but others I, I think uh, you could make a strong case that we've been moving toward this notion that there is no truth for quite a long time, and we're we now look out in the world, hopefully nearing the height of that folly seeing all the different manifestations of that and they're they're bizarre and they're illogical and and i think they lead to immoral or you know uh, detrimental behaviors and actions and outcomes much of the time but it seems like um maybe this is just a process of an understanding of of truth kind of falling out of favor or maybe the technological and cultural and social landscape changes to such a degree that there's no longer sufficient uh, relevance to the former system of truth and it kind of falls into disarray and it needs to be recapitulated and rehashed and and um, rearticulated or reformed once again so that we can 
reestablish our relationship to it and for all the benefits that that engenders. And what do you know? Here's Bitcoin. And this is a very dis the discussion that we're having. Is it is it just kind of the cyclical emergence and and, you know, disintegration and then reemergence of this notion of truth that we use to to guide us in our lives and as, as civilizations and cultures emerging once again in a manner and in a form that is salient and operable for the technological and cultural circumstances of the culture of that time. Mm. It's kind of seeming like that might be the case to me. To some of what you just said, it sounds to me like you're saying, like, how else could it be? Um, you know, in some kinda, sense, yeah, like kind of because I, I, you know, I think it's, I think what you're saying is important, like the times in which, you know, we are. And so it's like, as the tools have changed so dramatically over the last 75 to 100 years, um, obviously the tools with which we use to coordinate human effort in the past are not going to be sufficient. Um, mm -hmm. And from that standpoint, it seems like there, like obviously Bitcoin is going to be the thing because we're no longer in those times and we need a new tool. Mm -hmm. We have to have the, we have to have these tools. Um, uh, one of the famous acting uh, coaches or teachers of modern history is this dude named Sandy Meisner. And one of his famous quotes is that the talent lies in the choices. And, you know, a choice is as much about picking the right thing as it is about ignoring the wrong things. Mm. And, and that's what noise is, right? It's these, it's, it's, things that are in the way of the truth of the signal of the thing you're seeking of um <clears throat> of of what's useful i guess um maybe that's a way to say it in the in whatever circumstance you're in or whatever the structure is that you built for yourself um whatever right you're, well whatever you're determining is valuable noise is everything else right right and so 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 knowing what to ignore or what to discriminate against um, is like almost, I guess you could say like that's part of what wisdom is or, or um, skill or knowledge, something like that. Totally. That makes a lot of sense to me. And interestingly enough, you know, people report a lot, you know, a lot of the time that Bitcoin is a perceptive filter in a way. Like it just, it allows you to see things differently. And I think part of what it does is, by virtue of perhaps it allowing you to see truth or allowing you to see the world through principles that are more truthful and therefore you can see when they're not represented in certain places and things and therefore you know, oh, I don't need to pay attention to those things. They're not predicated on truthful or virtuous principles. And so, you know, I'm, I'm opting out, I'm withdrawing my attention from being sensitized to those things. And if once you do that enough, you know the the that truthful filter that bitcoin provides the world becomes very calm very peaceful very clear and this is the you know again so many people report that the clarity with which they see the world in which they see values and and themselves and their aspirations becomes much more clear as a result of this and i think it's partially because by virtue of that comparative process where you're comparing the principles of this thing and the principles 
that animate or are that are fundamental to various institutions or anything else out in the world it allows you to more easily discern what's value what's signal and what's noise what can what should be focused on integrated consulted further you know thought about further and what can be discarded and you know a lot gets discarded as a result of that and what you're left with is pure value pure signal rational focus you might say toward whatever your goals or your values actually are yeah yeah i one, one of the one of the things i think that bitcoin has been really helpful for me I was, as i was away i'm asking myself like and i think we'll we'll get into this is like what well okay truth okay truth is important what is okay so what is truth or what what are some truths um but with respect to bitcoin um being useful um, one of the things that it's allowed me to recognize and has given me um, a great deal, uh, it, it's, it's calmed me down quite a bit, is, you know, growing up, when I grew up, I didn't, you know, my mom was a teacher, a uh, single mom, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and so a lot of my, a lot of sort of my inherited lens was was a disdain for and a misunderstanding of money and wealth income. And one of the things that I didn't under, I, I just had no functional understanding of was, you know, well, if this person's working this hard and that person's working the same level of hard, why is it that they, you know, this person has a nice car and a nice house and we're over here, you know, struggling, whatever. There was mm -hmm. something, I didn't understand how the system worked. Bitcoin revealed to me, this is just my own personal journey. Oh, this is the, this is the, the, the rules by which we're playing, let's say, well, if you have a house and they're printing money and that goes up in value, cool. By you, you now, because of the way that that system works, can borrow more money against your house or your asset or your stocks or whatever it is. And so there's this sort of exponential effect of like wealth begets wealth, and it has nothing to do necessarily with uh, someone's how hard someone works, which is you know what we're taught and what I was taught and I believed in for quite some time. And so over time as, as, as well, how hard you work is correlated to how much money you make or whatever. I started to lose faith in that as an idea. I started to think, well, maybe that's not really how the universe works or how the world works. And Bitcoin for me allowed me to see that, oh no, this is just the lie that we're propagating at the moment, the way the fiat world works, the decree world works. And it mm -hmm. gave me this faith, like you said earlier, which is like, hey, maybe the market values you differently, that's fair, but at least you have an opportunity and a proportional share of of the network, so to speak. If you have, you know, your 50,000 sats, whatever, you have your 50,000 sats. Um, it's, it's, it's true. So I guess what I'm saying is that for me, it, it helped me understand why the system that we're currently under isn't the truth and it gave me a little more faith in what i had been taught as a kid because for a very long time it was just kind of grinding away and grinding away yeah. and i stopped trusting it and i and i didn't understand um because it doesn't it didn't seem right you know some of the things mm. you see in fiat world that just doesn't ring true on some right. deep cellular level, not just like, I want a Lambo, but like on some deep level, you're like, this isn't right. right. Why is it happening this way?
Yeah, and and that's the same was true for me, and that's why I said earlier, like when you're when you're younger and perhaps more idealistic, perhaps more believing in uh, the virtuous behaviors or virtuous principles, let's say, and you think they should be what constitute the world. You think that's what you should encounter out in the world. But, you know, um, uh, you know, what's the thing that parents often tell children, like you have to grow up someday or, or, uh, get with reality or, you know, like this when you encounter the world and, and there will always be a harsh process in growing up, right? There is naivety that you have to let go of to enter the real world. But I do think that many people end up isolating themselves, shrinking, you know, metaphorically, let's say, like shrinking into themselves because the world that they perceive and observe out, out there doesn't seem to resonate with what they have, like you said, believe in the deep fibers of their being are what makes them good. You know, those, those, those virtues that they carry and their capacity to act them out don't seem to be valued in the world or seem to be valued very little. And as a result, you just say, wow, that's, it's, it doesn't draw you forward. It, 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 it draws you inward. And it does seem to be the case that for the reasons that we've explored already, kind of the, the virtues inherent in Bitcoin or the values or the principles inherent in Bitcoin, it seems to, uh, it seems apparent that it's going to be a tool to rectify those issues out in the, in the world. And what, and for the first time, at least to this degree, it will be an environment that when you observe it seems to value those virtues, seems to value those principles. That's my expectation for this. And because, and for perhaps for no other more complicated reason than those virtues are what become the foundation of that marketing culture because they are the virtues that are embedded in or, or by which Bitcoin is constituted. So naturally it, it, it sends those up through and it, and it, di it disallows <clears throat> A lot of behaviors that are counter to them and therefore you get that market signal just ending up amplifying and valuing those things and so and i think that is very much what will draw those virtues out of people will amplify will bring them out of the person into their actions and out into the world so it's no it's no wonder like when we in fiat land and in a fiat system where they're not valued you get less of them. I mean, basic economics, right? <laughs> yeah. Where there's less demand for them, you get less of them. And when when we create a system where they're valued more highly, where there's more demand for them, where, then I think they'll be expressed. And then it'll be a positive reinforcing feedback loop rather than the more negative one that, that we have now as a result of the system that we're nestled within. So, you know, again, I think that's part of the reason why so many of us are excited about it. But one thing I, I wanted to mention just as you were speaking, I was just taking a few notes here, but I, I think and this is very much along the lines of, of, of this point is I think Bitcoin, we were discussing before, like what were the kind of virtues or values or principles of Bitcoin that made it resonant with the, those apparent in the composite of, of God, let's say, or in the notion or the idea of God. And we, we listed some, right. And I, some were like, well, Bitcoin can't lie, right. It, it does what it does. It only mm. pervades truth. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's a principle of Bitcoin. But if we move that into the free will behavioral realm of human beings, let's say, then an ethic emerges. And that ethic is don't lie. If you're subordinate to a system that cannot lie, the ethic it's communicating to you is don't lie. Mm. Because, of course, it can't ensure that you don't. But there's an ethic that it instills in you. And so what do you know? People in 
you know, hardcore Bitcoiners deep down the rabbit hole, what's one of the things they detest, call out, shame, yell at people for? Dishonesty. If you're dishonest in this space, you hear about it and you get shamed <laughs> and you're not welcome back until you repent, basically. And so let's let's look at another one. Everyone is the same. We, we said this, that Bitcoin, the network, treats everyone the same as all are equal under in the eyes of God, all are equal uh, as it relates to the network. Okay, what would be the ethic that that would instill? Humility, hmm. right? On a fundamental level, everyone's the same. Your skills and your talents and your work ethic will differentiate you, but fundamentally you're equal, so there should be a baseline level of humility. And I see that also, that ethic in the space. If people come in, and they're arrogant, they're know-it-all. I just, you know, I just learned about Bitcoin. Let me tell you about Bitcoin. Or even in non-Bitcoin-related ways, if there's arrogance, ego, the, all that kind of stuff beyond a, you know, a, a reasonable or accepted baseline level, <laughs> uh, those people get uh, called out as well. And then, you know, we could do this for a while, I'm sure. But the the last one I wrote down while you were speaking was, um, everyone is not only. Right. So everyone's, this is kind of a, an extension of that one, but everyone's treated the same. And I think another ethic that you can pull from that other than humility is fairness, right? And so the ethic of everyone, Bitcoin can't treat anyone differently. The ethic that's instilled in people as a result of engaging with a system like that is one of fairness. And so then you, you get this social layer on top of the technological or foundational layer that is imbued with the ethics that are derived from the fundamental parameters or characteristics of that fundamental layer. And I think that very relationship is very similar to the one that we've been articulating vis-a-vis -vis human consciousness and the notion of God, right? There's fundamental attributes that we are subordinate, subjected to or subordinate to, and they instill in us certain ethics. And then we act them out with high fidelity or low, or we adhere to them or we don't, and we suffer consequences or reap rewards based on that. And so I think a, a very similar thing is happening with Bitcoin where its fundamental parameters transmuted into human consciousness and the social realm become ethics. And the culture that's, that's emerging around Bitcoin is amplifying these ethics and enforcing these ethics. And that, again, that is precisely what I see when I observe what's happening with this emerging culture around Bitcoin. So, you know, it'd be fun to go to make a list of, of all the different kind of fundamental unchanging parameters of the network and the ethic with which they inspire. I, hey, I think we should. I think we should. I think we should <laughs> get it. I think we should get it going. Like, you know, because I, for me, my personal journey to, let's say, to God is through the concept of the truth. That's where I'm at mm -hmm. with it. And that's how it sort of found me. Um, I already had some sense of the truth and I already valued the truth greatly. It was already kind of a, a mission of mine. I just hadn't applied that or understood that or related that to religion or the Bible at all. Um, but it's easy to, it's easy to say, you know, that God is the truth. And if we can adhere to that, life is better. Um, it's difficult to quantify what that truth or those truths might be, um, because we're sort of dealing with, we're dealing with our eyeballs, you know, and then we're dealing with our heart, 
or mind. I think Breedlove had some, maybe it was, maybe it was Breedlove, maybe somebody else. He had somebody on who basically was explaining the, like completely beyond me, the math, but he basically was explaining why it's mathematically verifiable that we can prove that everything that you're seeing and sensing is, has a 0% probability of being true. Um, and it only exists to, uh, allow you to continue to play the game. Um, you know, is a, is is a lion a lion? What is a lion? I don't know. You're, you're, but you're designed to to recognize this pattern of uh, energy because you know if you don't recognize it correctly, you don't get to play the game anymore. Something like that. And so it's really, I guess, what I'm saying is, like, according to this dude, it's literally impossible for us to even perceive the truth, the truth of what's really going on. Um, but mm-hmm. it seems to be, uh, it seems to be the most important thing that we can possibly do is to uh, to at least try even though for some reason we know we can't. Um, and it, it, sort of a side tangent, it seems to me like that, back to the Jesus point, it's like, uh, d- despite the fact that we <laughs> bring it to a scientific point, despite, despite the fact that the, you know this is all going to end badly for everyone, I am going to behave opposite that. I'm going to behave in a way that is in uh, disrespect to that brutal... <laughs> you know, horrible reality. And in some ways, I guess, doing that brings about uh, the opposite of that guaranteed end, which is like destruction and pain and suffering and the heat death of the universe or whatever, however you want to see it. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is like, how? what, for, I'll stick it to you personally, what truths, what truth or what truths have you been able to identify in your own life that have helped um, mitigate suffering unnecessary or needless suffering well just a point about the setup for that question um you know you of course like you could look at things on uh you know a quantum level or an atomic level and like definitions get impossible basically there it's like you know you're speaking to a bucket of air right now basically (laughs) a bucket of empty space you know but here I am and we're having the conversation. And so there's a, obviously there's capital T truth, like, and capital R real, maybe, you know, those are, are very difficult things to discuss, but there's a reason why we have those, like that pragmatic notion of truth, right? Like if I assume X is real and I, you know, perform an action and that's verified, you know, I, you know, I, I bump into the wall, I eat the, I'm say, I'm sated by the, pizza slice or whatever, then I can, it's real enough. It's real to me, let's say. Um, and so that can be pragmatic truths. And, you know, maybe you say like, well, I think part of the endeavor of science is to kind of take those pragmatic truths and see what the limits are of them, like experiment them out and take your axioms and take your, take your assumptions and see how far, how much of the world you can explain with them. And maybe part of our issue today is we've we've overemphasized explaining the world through that method, and and not enough through um, the one that we've been exploring most in this conversation. I, I think so. But, sorry, sorry to cut you off on that one. I think I think that um, I, I've come to I've come to this, you know, recently with myself, which, which is this realization that science and religion are, in my opinion, they're essentially doing the same thing. They're just using different methodologies to try and bring us closer to the truth. Right? Mm. Science is a is a methodology designed to filter noise and signal and isn't religion essentially the same thing 
it's obviously sort of a different realm. Maybe science is the realm of physics. I don't know. Well, that's it. I mean, there are different approaches for different environments, let's say, you know, so like you wouldn't bring a telescope to, well, some people might, but you wouldn't bring a telescope <laughs> to trying to, to learn the truth of God, right? Because he's probably not sitting up there somewhere, but you would if you're trying to, you know, investigate the truth of astronomy or the movement of planets or something like that. Um, so I agree with that assertion. Um, my, uh, <clears throat> I guess there's two two answers come to mind. So I guess I should just say them. My my hesitation is that, well, again, as we've been saying so much, how do you really articulate, you know, truth other other than to say that 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 word God has been used to kind of allude to that thing, like God is the truth, and you know its characteristics are the truth that I subject my subject myself to. But the two that come to mind are one um, is separation is basically an illusion, right? And and love love is the recognition of a lack of separation between all things, and and that is basically you know call it mystical or spiritual union. And it, it is also that that I think dissolves the, um, you know, terrible ends that you were referring to a minute ago. Like, I think if you have the perspective that um, nothing of any value about you really goes away when, when your identity goes away, the most important thing about you is somehow recycled or... or Further, further illuminated, right? Like if you're evolving more into yourself, you're getting rid of the noise, the things that are the least useful, and you're bringing forth the more useful parts of yourself. Well, I agree with that for sure. But I, what I'm alluding to here is even in death, you know, because you say mm -hmm. like, well, you, you can pursue these ideas and have a faith in them. And, you know, maybe that allows you to bear the suffering of life and death. Um, and I, I do think that's right. But I, I do think there's a perspective you can have where your ego and your identity is, is very useful and it's very enjoyable. And it's, it's a part of the process of being able to bring those so-called godly principles into the world, in the ideal at least. Um, but there's also a perspective that would say not, or that would cause you not to fundament, would cause you to fundamentally identify with something other than, you know, the avatar basically identify with something um, undifferentiated about yourself that is undifferentiated between everyone that is that is union and um, you know when your physical body goes away that aspect that animating energy that spark that spirit whatever you want to call it doesn't go away it just adopts another form somewhere else and if you can identify with the the love of, of, of that thing or what seem love seems to be the right word to address it, um, then life seems to take on much less fear, both. And well, so the end of life takes on much less fear and the suffering of life, um, is somehow more bearable because there's like, there, there's some all resolving capacity of that notion that we call love, which we alluded to earlier. And, and you know, again, very difficult to articulate. And so anyways, one of the, the insights that I've had or that I had a long time ago is this insight that um, separation is an illusion and, and love is the recognition of the lack of that separation and the capacity to embody a perspective that 
sees things that way. And most fear dissolves, like, again, it, at the done to the extreme or to the utmost, fear does not exist within that perspective. And nor does anything of value, nor is anything of value lost in should, whatever happens in the physical, so-called physical realm. Um, and, you know, as a side note, it's, it's really interesting because that perspective, I think, really allows you to empathize with other people as well and not just other people that live currently. But, you know, I, I, I guess I'm a, not a hopeless romantic, but a, a hopeless, uh, well, I guess I romanticize the past in, in, in certain respects, but I think of like a, my counterpart, you know, on the Nile in Egypt, 4,500 <laughs> years ago. Right. And two, two friends, just like we are having, having the same conversation about all this stuff and, you know, shitting on whatever's happening with the pharaohs <laughs> and the political dynamic at the time. Be like, man, this is such bullshit. Like, how come no one's talking about these issues? And then, you know, they're they're talking about the things that are most meaningful and interesting to them. And if they were to arrive at a perspective like the one that I just articulated and, and kind of really em embody that and realize that they're most fundamentally that and not, you know, their sports team or their past history or their, you know, their physiology or anything like that, then they would very like m that awareness that they would have at that time would be exactly equivalent to the degree to which I was able to inhabit the same awareness in, in this time. Mm. And so I, you know, and I, I know that's kind of heady and, you know, um, I'm not sure if that will resonate with everybody, but I do think it's kind of cool. Like to the extent that I can embody that type of awareness and, and my, my practice with psychedelics has have definitely helped, um, help me gain more clarity or, or understanding and capacity for that perspective. Um, I find it so cool because like, I think this is part of the notion, you know, uh, what I've said thus far, people might, you know, the word karma might have come up in their mind that that's, or, or reincarnation rather. Um, and I, I guess it's kind of that notion and that notion may indeed be kind of what I'm talking about, but I think it's, that's partly where it comes from. Like if, if you primarily identify with so-called loving awareness, so far, or undifferentiated awareness, and if you can really do that, then you know, the life of that guy, and it's, let's say that guy in Egypt 4,500 years ago inhabited or had the capacity for that awareness. Then when I inhabit that awareness now in my time, I'm him living again. I'm, I'm that same awareness in a different place, in a different time, but otherwise undifferentiated. And isn't that kind of cool? And don't, can't you see how that could have inspired, again, in narrative form, the idea of reincarnation, the idea of living forever, these sorts of notions that we often see represented in these narratives and stories? Maybe. Um, so that's one of the, the, the so-called truths that I feel like I've encountered. Now, uh, I guess that the disclaimer here is I wouldn't be so bold as to, to suggest I have 100% certainty around these truths, but they, they ring true, um, to use a phrase, a, a term that you just, you recently used. Um, I think the other one that, that initially came to mind was, again, it's very related because I think that state of consciousness is what provides you access to it. And I, I, I think I have much less clarity on this particular one, but I, I've just been thinking about the, the all-resolving, all-redeeming, infinitely sustaining power of, again, the, the, the 
the notion that we call love. Like, um, and it, you know, it sounds very Hallmark Cardi and, uh, you know, romantic fairy tale sort of thing. But the more I fall down these various rabbit holes and, and the different tributaries that we've been touching on today, it brings me to that notion and why it's been so elevated for so much of human history um, and why it's been, why it's been so central. And I don't think it's just because like, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. And uh, nor do I think it's just, you know, because of, uh, let's say it's, it constitutes the relationship between two people and the nuclear family and the birth of children and the structure of society. I mean, I, obviously it's very much wrapped up in that, but I think as a, as an idea or a phenomenon or even a fundamental substrate of what consciousness is engaging in, uh, it's the meaning of it and the power of it seems to be, seems to be more to the story. And I've been enjoying thinking about and writing about and trying to understand precisely what that is, uh, more. So again, they're kind of the same thing, but those are the two that come to mind. I mean, <clears throat> It, it it just it keeps bringing to mind, you know, that it that love is the frequency of creation. Like that is what creation is born out of. And my 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 relationship with that word has very much evolved. You know, I I feel like maybe this is a just a, a United States thing or a English speaking thing. I'm not really sure, but this word love, I feel like really really got totally misused. Um, you know, particularly for young people, uh, and I think. I could say that, you know, I struggled with this when I was younger. It's like you confuse, like, you're not in love with that person. You're infatuated. Like, you know, there's a big difference right. between infatuation mm -hmm. and love. And I think that love, real love takes, takes a lot of time to really manifest itself. Um, and the longer, let's say it's a relationship, um, you know, your parents, for, for instance, um, it can really develop over time and really does develop over time. And it, and it's in spite of, the transgressions or perceived transgressions um mm. and it overcomes those things um yeah it, it seems like a lot of people get their first or the most potent taste of that when they have children you know you, you hear that a lot that and le and let's let's even add the kind of a qualifier onto it and say unconditional love because as you said love gets bastardized and used in various contexts and i i think now i, I think true love is it, unconditional yes yes by but, definition uh yeah, exactly. But like God, like we've been saying in this conversation, um, words take on different meaning in different contexts, times, cultures, and that kind of stuff. And they can be diminished in how they're used. And as a result, you know, like what I, the word, you know, a word that I use may, the meaning of it may be slightly different than yours and might be vastly different from that of somebody else. You know, that is certainly the case probably with those two words in particular, God and, and love. And so, um, well, I, that's why we have these conversations to try to tease out what we really mean by those things and, and, and why the, you know, why the word which speaks to an idea or a notion or concept has so much power. Why is that? Why is it, why does it, when it enters our consciousness, why does it have so much and such an energizing effect? Why does it have such a powerful, powerful effect? And again, I think. You could just say like, well, why, you know, sure, but why investigate it? And I think the more you can understand those things and perhaps anything, the more you can invite 
the good of them or the benefit of them or the, their nature into your life and your you your life and those of the lives of those people you interact with or 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 touch benefits also as a result or 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 you know benefits manifest as a result and again that's that's the redemptive story of pursuing those things of of sacrificing yourself to truth or to love or to god it's because you believe in in doing so i mean that again that's the mechanics of everything you know everything is redemptive in a way like eating the pizza redeems your hunger and so therefore you that's why you sub subordinate your your action that's why you you sacrifice your time and energy toward getting the pizza because it redeems your hunger but i think this works on many different levels and the and the ones that we're trying to investigate are the ones that are the most impactful or significant because their effects are the most impactful or significant and so, you know, here we are grasping it at, you know, blindly grasping, you know, at straws, trying to gain some clarity here because we think it's valuable to do so. Yep. Yeah. I think measurably, measurably so. I, I would say that that, and that's where the people's stories come in. Um, <clears throat> it's hard to quantify this stuff, but, but people can certainly testify to the reality that um, th at least the pursuit of these things has improved their lives or they wouldn't be continuing to pursue them, I, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sort of self-evident. But I think, I think it's important to, to have that, I guess, metacognition to some extent, like, you know, okay, we're doing this thing. Why are we doing this thing? Is, is the thing we're doing leading us to the place we thought the thing, you know, you've got to constantly be giving yourself notes, so to speak, to make sure you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the end of the day, like we were able to measure the success of that by, by a feeling or, or, or at least the lack of a feeling. Let's say, let's take seed oils, for example, right? Like if you're just, <laughs> if you're just going ham, you know, let's take some, an easy one. <laughs> If you're going to ham on some vegetable oil um, <clears throat> and you don't feel good because of it, you know, maybe you don't even realize that you don't feel good until you change your behavior. And then the absence of mm -hmm. that feeling is what allows you to recognize that you're, you're, you're on the right path. And, totally. you know, I think at least for me, I I think it's helpful to to realize that it's not necessarily about having some profoundly positive, intense, mind-blowing, truthful experience all the time. Sometimes it's just the absence of unnecessary suffering that is the measure of success. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just just trying to quantify and illuminate for people and myself what the signs might be that that the direction you're going or or the thing you're pursuing or the the truth that you might have stumbled upon is actually truthful i guess the theme of the conversation is like that the truth is always good let's just say that mm -hmm. and um so how do you know that you've stumbled upon something truthful well you should probably feel better um, in some way, or, or at least you don't feel as bad, you feel less bad, um, <clears throat> you know, and just trying to figure out a way to, 
some metric for success here, you know, in the pursuit of truth. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I agree with that. And it can be it can be challenging because, you know, culture and family conditioning and all sorts of other conditioning can really influence how you interpret an experience, you know? And so what, uh, you know, aligning with a certain principle should instill and on some level is instilling you what would be a meaningful experience, let's say, you're still capable of rejecting that or, or not seeing it properly because of, you know, your conditioning. And so it's not like all these things can be resolved in the moment if you think hard enough, you know, no. there's a uh, life has to be lived and experience has to be accumulated in order to uh, gain wisdom in these regards so that you, you know, the, the, the thinking impacts the experience and the experience impacts the thinking. And, you know, it's a, it's a feedback loop that probably has to be constituted for this journey of, of truth seeking to, to really take place, you know, to the, to the optimal extent. So it's tough, but, you know, another thing that popped into my mind as you were speaking, you know, it's, and we said this before, but I, I do think it seems to be the case that the truth would be the most meaningful thing and therefore it would be the most sustaining thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm going out on a bit of a limb here because I haven't done the proper study or investigation into this particular practice, but it, that framing gave me a, a different perspective on like a religious aesthetic right? Whether it be in Eastern religions or in Western religions or what have you. And like formally, I would just look at them and say, wow, super disciplined, you know, just rejecting everything, rejecting luxury, rejecting comfort, all that kind of stuff. Like just a life of discipline, a life of, um, you know, deprived life. But I never, you know, I never got past kind of that and being like, well, you know, you just think, oh, like, because God said so, or in service of their faith, and you kind of leave it at that. But I can now relate um, to the idea that if you've encountered a truth that is so deeply meaningful, so sustaining, so valuable, that everything in comparison to it is basically worthless, mm. or at least, you know, demoted in value in the extreme, because genuine, it's not because you're trying to be a good little steward of the faith or anything because you've encountered something that is so meaningful sustaining and valuable that you require so little else mm. because that is the that just ticks all the boxes as 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 most as much as they can be ticked and again i don't i'm sure well i suspect that some have that orientation and have that perspective i i assume some by virtue of their desire to be in that system, end up invoking discipline rather than, you know, the former sort of approach. And, you know, of course, you don't have to be necessarily an ascetic for that to take place. You know, I think we all kind of engage in that in varying ways. But it is interesting to speculate, like, does this journey of, of true seeking end up in a place like that where what you've found is so sustaining that you need so little else? And I think the answer is probably yes, but that doesn't mean you don't create, you know, because another element of that sustaining meaning is inspiration and inspiration, you know, you'll want to express and create based off what, how that, that force or that truth inspires you. And, you know, again, early impressions of what I'm seeing in the Bitcoin phenomenon is one, uh, a demotion of, let's say frivolous or material things of value 
and it, you know, I, I understand there's an economic uh, thing taking place here too, because the opportunity cost of not buying Bitcoin or spending Satoshis is great right now during its monetization phase. But I do also think there's a so-called metaphysical phenomenon happening here where value fundamentally is being reordered and reconstituted as we alluded to or discussed a little bit before. And I think that's causing a lot of people to derive more value and meaning from the intangible aspects of life and therefore uh, decluttering, right? Removing the physical, the material noise from their life in order to one, focus on that idea or those relationships or perspectives of greatest sustaining meaning. And then to the extent that they still create or accumulate material, you know, objects, they're far more representative of that sustaining meaning, or they're far more inspired by that sustaining meaning or value. And, you you know, it kind of seems like if you construct a life that way, then you're kind of attacking it from both ends, right? You're, you're deriving that meaning internally and you're, you're stewarding it and you're, you're refining it. And then you're allowing it to guide your creation or accumulation out in the world with things that are um, commensurate with it in some way, or at the very least, you know, closer to its value. And which is why things that are nowhere near closer to its value get kind of totally removed. And what's left is only those things that are of extreme value or representative or somewhat similar or of the similar nature to that value that you've uh, discovered or or are holding internally, let's say. Yeah, it it what it makes me think of is you know, a lot of times people want what they what they can't have or what seems you know like Lambos or whatever. <laughs> like, ooh, I want that. It's because always it, a Lambo. Like, I mean, you know, it, <laughs> it's the sign of the times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, let's just say, like as an analogy, you know, if if Bitcoin takes off and we're just like the most productive, it's just like so absurdly productive that like okay, like if you, I mean, cool, you want a Lambo, you want to go fast, that's fine. We like anybody can have a Lambo, no big deal. Um, but what's more important than the Lambo? And so like, you know, how that happens in your life, where or maybe it's just part of like the same the same thing as growing up. Oh, I wanted all these things as a kid that you really just wanted them because you couldn't have them as an adult. You could get yourself whatever you wanted, generally speaking, and you're like, meh, <laughs> okay, I don't need that crap anymore. Right, um, right. And so by bringing abundance, in some ways, it actually brings that, it, it brings into, into consciousness and being what is truly valuable. If you have access to everything and you're forced mm. to make a choice, um, you know, it has the possibility, it has the potential to bring us closer to the things that really are, uh, that bring us infinite value, love you know, this like mm -hmm. infinite wellspring of creation, you know, if, if, if happiness was a linear correlation to the amount of Lambos in your garage, you know, then, then obviously the objective would be build as many Lambos as possible. But on some level, we all know that that's not true. We know that's absurd and that mm -hmm. it is not going to, you know, the dude, the dude 4,500 years ago and the dudes 4,500 years from now who are sitting around having the same conversations about love will be because love is the thing that is sustaining and it's the thing that persists across time. It's the most truthful. Probably won't be talking about Lambos in 4,500 years because it, it's like, right. it's just the least truthful. Um, went off on a tangent there. Forget what you were saying before that, but I was trying to tie it into 
back to this theme of like the things that are useful are the things that are eternal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be that way. And I think part of your point <clears throat> is that because one of the things that forces us not to investigate those things of highest meaning that might ultimately benefit us the most is that we have more pressing concerns, right? It's like, look, I, and you would still say, well, if it is truly the most valuable and meaningful thing, then it should take, you know, it should take precedence. It should be, you know, first order, but necessity and biological necessity and, you know, all that kind of stuff just injects noise into that pursuit and says, look, I get it. You know, the, the, this intellectual pursuing the highest truth for all the good that it might do. Wonderful. Your baby needs to eat tonight. So go to the restaurant, wash the dishes and then go to your second job and, you know, all that kind of stuff and then come back and feed the baby. And I think that's, you know, again, part of the tragedy of deprivation generally, but deprivation is the natural state. So let's just say artificial deprivation, which I think is exacerbated Mm. by fiat, Mm. is that so many people are placed in a state where they're not, they don't have the time abundance to consider these things that are so meaningful because they've been stolen from, they've been placed in an artificial state of deprivation. And therefore they're just making, they're, you know, they got to work all the time to make ends meet, to, to meet the the basic necessities of life. And they can't, you know, climb that pyramid as it were and, and, and figure out, you know, hang out in the actualization peak and, and try to figure out what's going on there and the meaning and the value area. Um, and when people, when we live in a system where people can't be stolen from and the fruits of their labor are able to therefore accrue over time and provide an increasingly stable foundation, an increasingly secure, secure foundation, then I think more and more people will be freed up to pursue such things, you know, to um, determine what's most meaningful and most valuable to them and won't have to be so focused and so distracted by immediate biological concerns. And um, and I can I think that's going to facilitate some good discussions and probably necessitate a lot of positive or not necessitate, but, you know, bring about a lot of positive outcomes as a result of of those pursuits. And I think it will be just another part of a, a culture that is far more healthy and far more properly oriented than the the one that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, we're like you say, we're in this kind of fractal uh, pattern playing out and hopefully we're just a little bit closer to the truth, a little bit closer to God every go around we're 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 um shooting we through get, the universe. I think w- hopefully we each each cycle we get a little bit closer but the the troughs you know by definition i guess bring us further away from our what we previously established but again i think that's part of the that's a, that's an eternal characteristic of the process of the pattern of the fractal as as you said and again that itself is so represented in these religious stories, which just speaks to their wisdom. You know, they, they, so often that, that process of, you know, dying and resurrection or degeneration Mm. and renewal and, you know, the Phoenix rising from the ashes. I mean, that archetype of order, fruitful order descending into chaos or disintegrating, and then something novel from the chaos having to be or something novel having to be found in the chaos and then integrated into a prior established order such that some things can reemerge, be, be resurrected, rise again to a, a form of order that is better than the previous one, you know, and that, 
And that very process characterizes so many things. Um, but it, it definitely seems to be a critical part of these stories. And I think it's for that reason. It's a recognition that no matter how good the order generated from, no matter how truthful your understanding of those principles of the game are that we were saying earlier, no, no matter how good those principles are that you everyone is subject to, chaos and disintegration will happen. It's just just how we're wired, how the world exists, the, how the dynamic between chaos and order is constituted. And as such, in recognition of that, a narrative, an idea, a framework for dealing with that has been propagated, has been refined to say, look, don't freak out too much. Things are going to be good. And then they're, they're going to be bad because you'll become complacent. You'll become lazy. You'll become apathetic, mm. whatever. And even on a Bitcoin standard, that'll probably happen to some degree and things will degenerate. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Encounter, you know, face the chaos courageously, delve into it, go where you're not supposed to, right? Confront the dragon and come back with something of value that can be used to regenerate and resurrect the culture once again to establish a form of order that has was is unprecedented, basically. And if you if you engage in that process, you know, consciously or or faithfully, I think the idea is that the order that you're able to generate and that you're able to therefore experience has the capacity at least to get better and better and better over time, you know, um, starting from when we were, you know, Neanderthals or hunter gatherers and all up into whatever we are to become that, that cycle and that story is just a part of the game. It's part of how we're wired. And so, you know, I guess that's, um, that should convey to us, to approach it with that knowledge and to not be too fearful or angry when it disintegrates or when there's degradation um, and not to be too hubristic and arrogance when things are good and arrogant when things are good and to just kind of recognize this as the cycle and engage in every aspect you know or, or time in the cycle with whatever virtues or whatever capacity we're capable of to make it to to um make it you know the best experience we can make it to to contribute to that process uh the best we can and hopefully minimize the suffering associated with it and and maximize the the meaning and the and the the value and the the flourishing that we're able to derive from it absolutely um what what practices do you um, employ in your life to center yourself around the the principles we've been talking about, at least to to center yourself around being able to more meaningfully pursue the truth and 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 not be distracted by noise. Again, the one that jumps to that comes to mind is just um, I try to have mental clarity you know, or, and, and that, I guess that's kind of my gauge, right? If I engage in things and I find that, uh, they don't deliver that or they, they inject noise or fogginess or that kind of stuff, then I minimize them and try to try to engage in things that bring me clarity. And I guess the assumption or the faith is that if I'm seeing with clarity, or if at least to the extent possible, I, f I feel like I am, then I'm in a better position to encounter truth um, or to think about it or to, you know, to be a part of that process. And, um, you know, so for me, it's, 
I've been very health conscious for most of my life, but you know, it's the basics really. I mean, eating healthily. And of course, everyone has to determine for themselves what that means, like experiment and figure out what delivers to you the, the feeling and the vitality and the strength and the clarity that, that you, that you like. And then, you know, fitness is a massive part of it. Have to get a sweat and a huff and puff every single day, you know, typically before I engage in any uh, activities that require thinking, uh, to wake up and, and clear, clear out the cobwebs. Um, you know, sleep, engaging in meaningful work, spending time with, with people that you love or that you, um, that you share values with and that you can have meaningful and interesting conversations with living in an environment that stimulates you spending time in nature, in the sun, in the water, in the dirt, in the forest. I mean, all super simple stuff, right? But it, it is very, very important, you know, so they, they are prioritized in my life because all of that is kind of the, the baseline to do the more complicated or the work that requires more clarity, which is speaking, writing, you know, whatever the particular piece of work that I'm engaging in, like that it's all so that I can show up to that, uh, in the best state, you know, the best state of mind, the best state of body. And, and hopefully that will mean that the, I put myself in the best position to witness the best outcomes, let's say, or participate in the best outcomes. Um, and there's really, I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I have a couple beers as I watch the UFC fights on the weekend with some pizza, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an aesthetic myself. You know, I, I, I definitely, life is to be enjoyed. So, uh, in the proper context, you know, when I don't have anything productive to do or the next day, I, I don't have to use my brain that much. I, I don't mind having some beers and some pizza and some ice cream or whatever. Um, and like, I don't do any drugs. Um, psychedelics are, will probably always be a part of my life. It's, you know, and so ideally it would be like a annual or biannual thing. It's been longer than that right now, but, um, it used to be the case that on an annual basis, I'd have a, a significant trip and, and really kind of clean out the cobwebs from the year, anything that was kind of latent or that I was uh, missing or not paying attention to would inevitably come up and it would have to be dealt with. And then, um, you know, the other benefits of that experience would, I would avail of, and I, you know, I, I find it instrumental really. Um, but even something like we, I mean, when I was a part of my curiosity and my asking the, the bigger questions, even as a, like a young teenager, because, you know, I, I've always done that, you know, I always wanted to know what the unknowable stuff was. Uh, but weed was just such a, seemed like a, it stimulated your mind, right? And, you know, it, it makes you more creative or it allows you to see things from a different perspective. And so when I was younger, I, I smoked weed a bunch, always after I had, you know, done my homework and done my fitness. Like I wanted to, I basically looked at it as an, a way to enhance enjoyment, right? So if I was going to eat candy and just hang out and do nothing anyways, I mean, wh why not? Um, <laughs> but even now, you know, now my particular approach, I just find it too, it muddies the water too much. I might, you know, very seldom um, use it if I'm like, if I want to attack a particular idea in writing and, and like, I just, I really want to try to see it from a different angle Then I, I might get high as balls and think about <laughs> it. And maybe it'll, it'll, it'll inspire some different thinking on a, a particular subject, but I don't actually, you know, I don't like how I feel afterwards and I don't like how, uh, yeah, it just muddies the waters. I mean, my, my favorite state of mind is like 
great sleep, wake up, have a run, have a workout, jujitsu, whatever, black coffee, some bacon and eggs. You know, I, I, I don't have carbs until uh, later in the afternoon because they, they kind of they mess with my mental clarity or my energy levels and stuff. Um, and then time in nature as a part of that. Like if I can do all that, like that is my absolutely preferred state. And then I feel like I'm capable of engaging and have, you know, engaging to challenging ideas perhaps, or, or having good conversations with people, or even just, you know, having genuine exchanges with people, you know, that, that puts me in a state where I'm not in my own head as much. And I can, I can be kind of more present and genuine, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's something menial or something ostensibly productive. So no, no real secrets, you know, no supplements or any of that jazz, just straight up basic stuff, sleep, exercise, nature, good food. That's it. I, I mean, I agree. I agree with all of that. I've, that's been my experience as well. Um, weed for sure. You know, I, I, I came to the realization that a lot of the people in my life that I knew that were alcoholics or people I'd encountered, um, and I, you know, I enjoy alcohol. Um, it's, it's more, it, that's definitely part of something that, part of my story and, and something that I've had to overcome and things that I've inherited. And, but when I realized that there, there's a certain, um, there's like a certain energy, there's a certain like behavior of, that I came to recognize around a fair amount of alcoholics. And I, and I, I realized at some point that it was just a total disconnection uh, between them and source. And they seemed to you know i don't know arrogant isn't exactly the right word but just but just so i I guess egotistical is a better word just so consumed with their own um their own thing and their story and their struggle and their identity and and then it having that realization i guess what i'm saying it really helped me to kind of pull back from that and i realized that that was the negative experience i was having was because i was i do feel like i was cutting myself off from the source from the truth. Um, yeah. you know, it's not a creative thing. It's not a, um, it's not something you go do to become better at <laughs> doing virtually anything. Um, but certainly, right. you know, creative enterprises, which require sort of opening up that conduit between you and, um, God, I guess. Um, well, I think, I think that's a good example of what I tried to articulate earlier, which is, you know, in the former, in the stance that I just articulated and that, and that you seem to be aligned with as well. It's like you're you're sacrificing, you're you're subordinating your behavior. You're doing all the things necessary to try to get closer to that truth. And you know the term I use to do that is like I try to do the things that uh, that I are able to that allow me to access greater clarity. And again, the the point of that is to get closer to that truth. And so you are very much subordinating or sacrificing yourself to that thing. Whereas the alcoholic is going for the immediate gratification, right? They're, they're, they're trying to, and I'm not saying like, I'm not judging here. There's, I know a lot of people, there's a lot of trauma in the world and there's all sorts of reasons, Yes, but their behavior is, you know, overtly and obviously constituted by doing things that accrue gratification or to the self, right? They're, they're, they're sacrificing to themselves and they're, they're, and by their own, you know, let's say unconscious behavior, a lot of time, to people in their life, they're 
implicitly asking them to sacrifice to them as well. It's like, look, take care of me more, treat me differently or put up with my bullshit or all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's very much that dynamic of what are you subordinating yourself to and what are you asking, you know, what kind of sacrifice is being made? Yourself to the higher thing or the higher thing and everything else to yourself. And I think it's, that seems like a fairly good framework to look to, you know, to assess things through and maybe even, you know, understand the notions of good and evil better. Not to say, you know, again, I don't want to judge that person so harshly to say that they're evil, but I think the characteristics of evil are brought into the world as a result of an orientation like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems to me that, <clears throat> it seems to me that it's a, you know, let's say, let's say, let's say just for sake of conversation, say God is love, love is an energy, it's a vibration, it's creation itself. Well, okay, so it has an opposite to that, which is destruction um, mm. and fear and chaos. And so if, if, disintegration. If, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. If, if God is on this side of it and then, then evil is on the other side of it or Satan or deception or whatever you want to say, um, if, if you're if you're giving up your potential for goodness for destruction, <clears throat> even if it isn't necessarily for uh, like I'm going to consciously go out and be evil today, um, mm -hmm. which I think mm -hmm. very you know is very, very rare actually. Do. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And but but unfortunately, you 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 unconsciously become a warrior of destruction. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if if my objective is to if I'm at the bar and I'm shit hammered and I, my objective is to go home and go to bed, but I end up, you know, hitting a minivan and killing five people, it really doesn't matter what your intention was in that circumstance. You decided to avail yourself to the forces of destruction. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's why I use also think the word or the, the qualifiers distinction or disintegration and integration are, are useful here because mm -hmm. I think, I mean, you could say that the approach, you know, that we, you and I might be engaging in is an attempt to integrate with the truth more closely, attempt to establish a coherence or a more high fidelity relationship with that in, an attempt to integrate into that pattern and be a part of, you know, the fractal set of patterns that constitute reality mm -hmm. perhaps. Whereas, you know, and this is kind of definitional as well, but that person who's who's not trying to foster a closer connection with what is most true is definitionally disintegrating or, or detaching or diverging from that thing. And as a result, what it produces in their life is destruction, disintegration. The the apparent the products of that are apparent. You know, so the, the products of that of seeing things in that way are are apparent in, in what results. And so um, yeah, I, I think that's a relatively useful way of looking at it. Yeah, it, it, I, you know, that and weed, weed, weed was similar for me. It, um, it just wasn't, it was no longer bringing me closer to anything useful or productive. It was, and it wasn't right. neutral either. It was, it was overtly negative, um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you just have to accept that reality and uh, move on. And, of course, the truth is never bad, and the truth of that situation has improved my life. <laughs> right. You know, right. Um, 
but and, and I like I I did. It's it's so, um, like specific to the individual, right? Like yeah, a lot of things can work for one person and not work for another. So it's just a matter of figuring that out. I mean, that's that's the whole kind of journey and why it's so important to engage in it. But even with alcohol, I mean, I <clears throat> I had an unhealthy relationship with it. Let's say in my early twenties, and never, you know, I never t to the extent that it hurt relationships or that it impeded my ability to make a living or that kind of stuff. But if I look back on it now, I'm like, oh my God, the waste of time, the waste of money, the stupid behavior, like you're such an idiot. <laughs> um, and so for at that time, I ended up going cold turkey just to kind of remove that influence from my life and and see what happened or even not even see what happened just be like this this has to stop for a period of time and so i didn't like i was bone dry for four years and it was cool like you know obviously social life takes on a bit of a different uh look and you have to find other ways to get your kicks because you know part of the reason why so many people pursue alcohol is like well you work in a job you hate for 40 hours to 80 hours a week and the weekend comes around and like what what pleasure or gratification do you have if it's not you know going out drinking eating staying up late and and doing gratifying things you kind of got to like push the release valve because you've accumulated so much tension throughout a week of doing something that's like soul sucking and so you know again this this system that we're in obviously perpetuates that behavior but at you know at a certain point everyone has to realize that it's their responsibility to say well you know I, I may be in a system that perpetuates and incentivizes that, but I'm still the one that's in control. So I'm putting an end to it. And um, I did. And, and, and a big part of that, I think, is also just making sure it's under your conscious control. That's what like Bingo. going cold turkey can do. And then, you know, since that time, I've reintegrated it, you know, never to that same extent where I, I, I tr you know, I push the release valve that hard, let's say. But, you know, the occasional drink or, you know, even a little bit more than that on certain special occasions. But it's like I have it. It's in my control now and it's not controlling me. And so it, it's a more conscious behavior. And therefore, it's it's impact on my clarity or the the manner in which it impedes or the degree to which it impedes my own. My broader pursuit is minimized. And I think that's that's worked well for me. Yeah, I think consciousness is the right word there, especially when you're young. You know, it's you're just there's just you don't even know what you don't know what you're doing at all. There's no yeah. no connection at all. And developing consciousness around any of that is the di I mean, that's the difference between unconscious d disintegration, like you're saying, unconscious destruction, and conscious behavior in general. Yeah, there you go. And 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 even that, I totally agree with that. But even that begs a question: like, if you are conscious, what are you conscious in relation to? What is the 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 value at the top of that the hierarchy that determines your consciousness like what is that and i think that's why if mm -hmm. you if you're trying to be conscious if you're trying to be in control if you're trying to be clear you necessarily kind of have to address those questions because it's kind of how the whole thing functions you can ignore them if you're going to be unconscious but then as you said you see the destructive effects of that but if you want to see the pro like the productive impacts of being integrated or being conscious then uh, you you pursue on you you engage in that process of trying to gain greater clarity on what it is precisely is making you conscious or what in relation in in relation to what you are conscious and that's the kind of feedback loop loop of refinement that uh, seems to produce integration and, and positive outcomes. Yeah, I <laughs> I feel like that I feel like what you just said it it 
I'm having a hard time. You, you, you wrote an article that cracked me up, um, where you're talking about, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, it was, well, basically why you wrote Money Messiah. It was like, I'm going to do this one thing, but then inevitably it's just going to end up being about, about Bitcoin and God. And, and like most of my conversations at this point come down to that because a lot of the conversations we're having in our circle is like, people are attempting to, to identify truth or, or pursue truth or, um, tease out truth, things like that. They're improving their life. They're doing what you know, we're, we're not in my 20s anymore where it's just like you're out partying. It was and, emerging recognition of the importance of it. Yes. And I think that's why so many of us are having it. Yes, exactly. And and it's like, okay, well, then then inevitably it's like, well, it, inevitably everything just goes back to Bitcoin and and or God at this point because it seems like <laughs> those are the most... Yeah. They, they identify... They I, I should say they bring awareness and they bring consciousness to a lot of behavior that was otherwise unaware and unconscious mm-hmm. um totally agree. and i think that i think we touched on this earlier but i do think that that might really be the primary benefit of bitcoin is is the ability to have a heightened state of consciousness um because obviously linear progression of lambos is not the thing that's going to be infinitely sustaining it's it's some consciousness and like you say consciousness uh, in in line with what yeah injecting more truth and into your consciousness is probably a synonym for you know the the phrase you just used but yeah the 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 evolution of consciousness the improvement or amplification or um you know upgrading the operating system whatever analogy or way we want to describe it uh i think that's right you know and what what happens when you you're increasingly seeing the world through a clearer more truthful lens and all the the data all the signals with which you're receiving from the world are also grounded in that degree of fidelity that degree of you know pristine truth let's say um i think that's what results and again this is why this is you said like everyone always just talks about Bitcoin or God now. I mean, I think that's the reason because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, you know, once you start to get things like the history of mon- the money, the history of money and um, you know, like those are easy narratives, but they don't explain much. That's just like, uh, you know, an offhand to some noob, like well, what's going on here? Well, it's the next evolution in monetary history. It's like, Oh, okay. What's the meaning of that? Exactly. <laughs> Why does that matter? Exactly. That's what everyone keeps, keeps trying to figure out. And again, uh, like I said before, nothing is relevant unless it changes our behavior and mm. in advance of changing behavior, you have to change your consciousness. You have to change how you think. And so ultimately you're right. I think this is a tool that fosters change of consciousness in a very positive and profound way. And that is becoming evident in the behaviors that everyone is engaging in, uh, who that's happening to. And so absolutely. I mean, you know, people love to get on Twitter and say, Bitcoin is this Bitcoin is that, but you know, as I titled in the piece, like, you know, I didn't say it this directly, but obviously alluded to it, but Bitcoin is a tool for the evolution of consciousness, basically, you know? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, I think you're spot on. And I think that that, therein lies the infinite uh, value of it. Um, Mm -hmm. The real value, the real value. I, okay, one last question. Um, 
I feel like you might have answered this in a previous one, but um, what what in your life thus far has been the most meaningful or or you know top three handful of things that are the most meaningful things you've done or experienced or realized or whatever man well again like i, I think sometimes you you, you got to not think about things and just go with what pops into your head right and so uh the things that are popping in, into my head um one was family. Um, another one was, uh, you know, a psychedelic, the experiences that have been made available to me through psychedelics. Another one has been, you know, the love of, uh, my partner. Um, another one has been discovering and, and attempting to understand Bitcoin. Another one is, you know, my close friendships. And everything, I mean, the the other thing popping into my mind is just like, a, you know, a collage of experiences, you know, that I've been able to have throughout my life, you know, to do with travel or high moments or that kind of stuff. But again, those are kind of lower down the totem pole. So, yeah, I mean, family, partner, psychedelics, Bitcoin, those, those seem to be the most meaningful. And <clears throat> perhaps unsurprisingly, they seem, there seems to be a lot of overlap on like what the fundamental aspects of those experiences or those uh, those things are which seems to be you know love and meaning and freedom and truth yeah like the, all, all those things the, the reason why they seem to be so meaningful perhaps is because there's an abundance or a high concentration of those things within them and that's why they seem so meaningful i guess Yep, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I, psychedelics, Bitcoin, <laughs> uh, love, but, but really what that is is connection. I think I I hadn't really ha ever heard anybody explain it in that way, but I think that that's, I think that that helps explain that that deep connection. And psychedelics help that. I feel like psychedelics are, you know, if alcohol is like the lack of fidelity, you know, psychedelics are like <laughs> fidelity. Well, yeah. You know? If alcohol takes you away from God, then psychedelics puts you right face to face. And Bingo. It's like, What's up now? <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's so true. Um, so I, I really appreciate your time. I, I feel like I got. I feel like I got closer to the truth. I feel like I got closer to God. Uh, even even well, if great, just, that's all we can hope for. A hundred percent. Even if just being um, more enthusiastically subordinate to the truth. Um, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, look, I really appreciate it. I hope we can do this again um, sometime about maybe a maybe that list you were talking about or uh, something specific, but. Um, you know, I really thank you for taking your time and coming on and discussing this. Yeah. Well, man, I, I thank you as well. You know, like I said at the beginning, <clears throat> I really appreciate these conversations and, and what I'm so grateful for in the space generally, and definitely to you specifically, is that I'm able to have an abundance of these conversations where people are engaging in them genuinely. You know, nobody's trying to assert their particular perspective. You know, you want to you want to articulate it, but you want to make it available for change should, you know, the logic or the reasoning or the rationale determine that that is what should happen to it. And, you know, the fact that you create a forum for, for doing that, 
you know, in such a, a long form way where we have the time to wrestle with these things. I'm just really grateful for. So I appreciate the opportunity and um, yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime, preferably when my air conditioning is working and I'm, I'm not sweating my balls off and we can, we can marinate on this one a little bit and, and get back together when we think we have uh, more to wrestle with. A hundred percent, man. hundred percent. We'll get that EC going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. Cool.